0: Welcome to Biblical Brainstorm, the Seth and Chandler podcast, streaming to you live out of Jacksonville, Florida in Dallas, Texas. I'm your co-host, Seth. This is my fellow co-host and my brother, Chandler. What's up, man?
1: What's up, brother in Christ? Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> brother from another mother.
1: Yep, yep. So I'm doing good, man. Just summer is about to, about to start for me. Um, I got two, three days left of, of work for the, the school year um you know with my students i teach nice. eighth grade um history and coach and so a little little bittersweet i'm excited for summer break and having all this time but also oh, yeah. i'll miss some of these i'll miss some of these students as well because you know yeah. they're going off to high school and so you know i won't really see them so
0: yeah yeah that's good though uh, yeah i know you have uh, one of your students uh checks out the podcast right yeah he hey, comes i think he's coming so if you're listening nice.
1: you can you can drop a comment shout out to you pretty pretty cool nice.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. One of my best dudes right there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's nice. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, not much going on here. Just, uh, you know, working working out, trying to pump some iron.
1: Yeah, uh, I start my workout <laughs> plan next Monday, so I need to get back into it, so I'm ready.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's been uh, just kind of winding down. We had uh Disney vacation. We had some uh, family in town, so it's been busy, busy but busy. enjoyable and yeah. so now things are kind of settling a little bit so it's uh you know it's kind of nice and starting to weather's getting really nice and hot so it's getting that beach weather so hopefully one of these days i can head out to the beach and maybe get a tan because i am very european and i'm very white <laughs> so <laughs> and yeah. I, I I have a hard time ready tanning. For... like there's a science for it so i'm, I'm ready to burn yeah
1: I don't yeah, I mean I I tend to get a little tan after a while, but I guess now I've been out of the sun so long I'm like a vampire, I might burn. So we'll see <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: And shout out to to Jacob, I see he's streaming it with us. That What's was an up, awesome man? interview. Yes. At some point going. we need to get you back on. But well.
0: Hopefully soon, yeah.
1: That uh yeah, that's pretty good. So Shout nice. out to Jacob. All right. Well, so today um, we are talking about the apocrypha again. So this will be, as you can see now on the ticker, the apocrypha part
0: two. Electric Boogaloo.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> so today um, we will go through again a lot of the Old Testament stuff. Um, I think we'll we'll kind of. I guess go a little bit in the New Testament, kind of tease mm. for next week. But yeah. this, these past two weeks, it's just not enough time to go through. Just one episode is yeah. not enough time to go through this. And honestly, we're leaving so much out. And yeah. so we're just kind of picking some highlights and getting you in brainstorming and getting you guys, mm. I guess, even uh, some insight and interest into the topic. And so I know this topic in particular with what the Apocrypha is and all that, why are certain books included in the Bible? Why are some not? you know, different canons, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. So these are quite a burning questions for a lot of people, a lot of Christians and a yeah. lot of points for skeptics for some reason. So yeah, I'm excited to tackle it.
0: Yeah, it's uh, definitely something that's very interesting to me. Uh, something that I didn't start um, becoming aware of or studying until kind of later on towards once I got closer to college and stuff, uh, college age. So it's something that I, uh, personally enjoy, but yeah, I know when we first started the podcast, uh, we were starting around Easter, so we were kind of on a time crunch because we were trying to keep up with you know the time frame of what was going on. As Good, far as Friday, Good Friday, Easter. actual mm-hmm. Easter, then we had Palm Sunday and all that. But now, you know, now you're going into summer and everything, and we don't, you know, nothing. There's no any particular. Liturgical we have a little bit more freedom. Event. Yeah, we can kind of, if we want, take a couple extra weeks on one particular thing so We don't rush through it. You know, that's the fun part. So, yeah. hopefully, uh, we can get. And this is a big topic. Yeah, hopefully so, we can do it justice at some point.
1: <laughs> yeah, get yeah.
0: through it enough because I mean there's a ton, but uh, hopefully we can you know touch it enough to get mm-hmm. everyone's interest peaked.
1: Yeah, and so today, um, you know, last week to kind of recap, we talked a lot about um, the apocrypha in ge- like as a general term. So hopefully I didn't confuse people because um, to clarify the apocrypha as is you know the popular definition or what you think of when you hear the apocrypha. Are the fourteen books a part of the Catholic Bible, the Canon there, and not a part of the um, the Protestant Bible and mm-hmm. most Canons there, especially the you know the in the Jewish early Jewish Old Testament Canon or Hebrew Bible? Yeah. So um, that is that is the definition of the Apocrypha. But last week, uh, and it's you know especially I use the term very broadly as any type of apocryphal work or pseudepigraphal work, any anything that is not a part of the canon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the, uh, you know, not, not just the, the Protestant canon, but even part of the, not even a part of the Catholic or the Eastern Orthodox canon, like the Book of Enoch, et cetera. Right. Uh, there's other books, right, that that are not a part of the, that don't form a part of the canon. And so I would clarify those under a broad term of the Apocrypha. So when we're okay. talking about the Apocrypha, you know, and that's why we named the episode The Apocrypha. It's not just specifically talking about the 14 books, a part of the Catholic canon and not a part of the Protestant, but it's more broadly tackling why are books not included in the Bible, like those books that aren't included in the Bible, kind of talking about them. Yeah. And, uh, and, and why, you know, how, you know, why are they good? Why are they bad?
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: there's def- definitely different levels of that as well. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, and you had brought up a couple things last week that were a uh, pretty good point. Just separating the two. Like um, as far as we talk about a little bit inspired versus uninspired versus scripture, um, God breathed, not God breathed, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you had mentioned, you know, should we call it inspi- uninspired or just call it non-canonical because, you know, certain uh, biblical authors in the new Testament and Jesus, uh, quoted certain parts of the Apocrypha and called it scripture, and um, so it's it probably is a good point to maybe not label it completely uninspired because some of it may be. So the especially the parts quoted be... in
1: the Bible. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> like Jude quotes from the Book of Enoch, and so would you say that that part of Jude right is that inspired or not inspired? And yeah. so it's like, well, the, that phrase that's quoted, then you would have to say is inspired. And you know, so even yeah. like something <laughs> Enoch, it may not yeah. all be inspired, but then some yeah. of it may be because it's of course quoted <laughs> in right. what you would consider to be inspired. So I did go over terms like that, the difference yeah. between what God breathed is inspiration, what you know, the difference mm-hmm. of something that's inspired, something that's canonical, like canon, and mm-hmm. then scripture meaning meaning sacred writing. So yeah. all three of those categories, um, you know, they they overlap. Uh, with a lot of things, but not all the time. So there might be books that are part of one or two or three of these categories uh, at a time, but not necessarily, you know, all of them are not a a part of all of them all the time. So there are distinctions there between these definitions of inspiration and canon and scripture. Mm -hmm. And so kind of seeing where some of these books lie in within those categories, you know, is the topic and what we're trying to tackle here as well. Um, Obviously, You know, for sure, the books that are in the Protestant Bible uh, are unequivocally Scripture-inspired and canon. So those three books would be a part of all three categories there. And then you have something like the the, the Apocrypha, those 14 books specifically, um, in the Catholic Bible. Mm -hmm. And then there's a few more that are also included in the Eastern Orthodox, count those, uh, canon. So those would be a part of their canon, but then, um, you know, are they scripture well jesus calls you know let's just say enoch which isn't a part of that scripture and you know et cetera, and you just go through mm-hmm. all these rabbit rabbit holes so there yeah. might be books that are part of one of these three categories or all but you know
0: it just only depends a, on the book yeah there's only a certain amount that meets all of the criteria mm-hmm. and it's like you had mentioned before not on not i don't think we talked about it on the podcast i think we just talked about it personally but um uh, we we're talking about the canon of scripture and everything, and what would happen if, say, we found uh, Paul's third letter to the Corinthians that mm-hmm. is referenced, you know, in the, mm-hmm. you know, the Corinthians first Corinthians that we have, mm-hmm. and even if we did find it, and it was, we did seem to find that it was for sure written by him, mm-hmm. you know, it hasn't been a part of the, you know, Christians' tradition hasn't been part of the, yeah, you know, it's not part of the universality, yeah, so it's kind of because we found it so late, you know, I don't you're saying it probably we probably wouldn't include it just because it's doesn't mm-hmm. quite meet the criteria of its, you know, influenced Christianity for as long as the other ones kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And the patristics, you know, the, a lot of the early church fathers, they they had certain criteria of including in the canon. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we'll even get into that more with the New Testament, and that formation of the canon as a whole more next week and maybe the week after. But mm-hmm. today, uh, you know, both of us, we we wanted to kind of Close and tackle again the apocrypha and and the Old Testament. Um, You know those books, the Second Temple Jewish uh, books and literature that are maybe included in the canon, or maybe included in the Catholic canon or Eastern Orthodox, but not in the Protestant. And so let's get you know take a look at some of those books and some of the cool history behind these things and how showing how they're useful Mm -hmm. um, and and why are we not why not they're a part of you know certain canon. So yeah, so just to name the the books of the, the Apocrypha, again, there's the broad definition, which I kind of like to use calling it, you know, anything non-canonical as Apocryphal books or Apocrypha, but then you have the specific, the Apocrypha, the 14 books that are included uh, in this, in this category of the Catholic canon. So this is first and second, Esdras, uh, Tobit, uh, Judith, additions to Esther Wisdom of Solomon Ecclesiasticus not to be confused with Ecclesiastes Ecclesiasticus mm-hmm. is also known as the Book of Sirach which I'll read today a little bit nice. um and the Book of Sirach and um also known as the Wisdom of Sirach or different you know different yep. names to this book and then you have Baruch uh and then you have the Letter of Jeremiah Prayer of Esraya Susanna Bell and the Dragon, Prayer of Manasseh, and First and Second Maccabees, which I'll also read a little bit of that today as well. And I did read a little bit of Wisdom of Solomon last week. One of a, a pretty cool quotation that I found uh, found pretty helpful or pretty cool there. So if you guys remember that. And so yeah, that now was cool. now I'm covering two more of the apocryph- you know, the apocrypha, the books there. So I'll cover kind of three out of the fourteen of these. Uh, nice. between these past two weeks but hopefully you look into these yourself and you see why maybe the uh, the early palestinian jewish community considered them kind of second tier and not part of their canon and thus why the protestant bible doesn't include them in their canon but mm-hmm. you'll see why they're useful and why it's include they included in the catholic canon yeah and and you know the history that is is there so again you, even if you consider them like if you're Protestant or you know you consider that hey it, it wasn't part of the Palestinian Jewish Hebrew Bible so why would I it you know I put it a part of my canon makes yeah. sense sure that makes sense Uh but it's still useful and you'll see why you shouldn't just throw the baby out with the bathwater
0: right so <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. is uh like you said you don't want to you know totally disregard it but it's um. You know, not on the same level, as canon, but it's definitely important to keep in your repertoire to study, and you know, kind of give some context. And like you said, you'll give some references mm-hmm. on uh, why that's important. So it's definitely a fun topic for sure. Yeah, we'll it's fun to topic a for a lot later. of people. Yeah, as
1: we see, even in a review. I love the apocrypha. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we do too. It's great. I love history, yeah. so there's a lot of history there. So it's yeah. good to cover. And I mean, our name is Biblical Brainstorm, right? And so there's a big part of this that we're like, okay, well, what Bible? The Eastern Orthodox Bible, the Catholic Bible, the Protestant yeah. Bible. Like, what are we talking about when we're the biblical brainstorm? What are we brainstorming? Yeah. Well, so a little bit of everything, right? So, yeah. I mean, We're not afraid to
0: talk about different things and kind of, you know, challenge, you know, what people may mm-hmm. believe or not believe and kind of help people stretch and grow a little bit.
1: hmm Yeah. And, uh, and even ourselves. Yeah. And th- again this is a perfect comment. Yeah, Enoch also shows us the mindset of first century Judaism, which uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was actually about to mention not that specifically, but the fact that these writings are a uh, good commentary and interpretation of the Old Testament. Yeah. So even if you if you don't put them at, on par with the Old Testament, they're at the very least uh, books that you see the cultural context and that you see, you know, how we should interpret some of these passages in the Old Testament yeah. out of out of the Second Temple Jew- Jewish lens or first century Jewish lens instead of a later you know yeah. rabbinic or even Christian interpretation of these passages.
0: It's almost so, like um, I don't know if you've ever watched, but the National Treasure movies.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah it's it's kind
0: of, it's kind of like when they find a cipher. So like, you know, you got to have a key to help you decipher find decipher the the puzzle the cipher. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like. You know, you have the Bible and you can understand it, but once you have a little bit of insight of the culture at the time and kind of the context, like Mm -hmm. what the Apocrypha will provide, you know, periodically, you know, throughout the scriptures, you know, kind of gives you a more in-depth kind of a insight into what they were thinking and why they say kind of what they say so not necessarily that yeah nick cage the man the myth the legend (laughs) so it kind of just helps you understand it a little bit better gives them your point of view because like i had said before if we you know a thousand years from now someone looking back on you know the 2010s or the 2020s you know we we'll make references to movies to tv shows to memes and unless people a thousand years from now dig up You know, memes or those movies or those TV shows, they're not going to know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And my brother made a good point. He's like uh, a thousand years from now, if someone found a reference to the Galaxy S3 phone, are they going to be like these ancient people obviously had access to the galaxies because, look, they had this item called the galaxy thing. The yeah. Galaxy phone, but they won't realize ancient aliens confirmed. Yeah, <laughs> So it's like that's why context is important. So it's the the Second Temple along with historical documents help give kind of some context to the Bible that gives it deeper meaning.
1: Exactly. And some of it's thought provoking too. So that's why I want to read out of Ecclesiasticus or the book of Sirach. Mm-hmm. Um chapters uh thirty-seven to thirty-nine. Uh and you know, these aren't that long, so that's why I'm kind of reading through it, but uh you know, I think that'll pro- pro- uh, provide some good discussion or, you know, they're thought provoking at least. And, uh, you know, that's again, this book is part of the Catholic canon, not part of the, um, the Protestant canon or, and you know, the old Testament right. Hebrew Bible. So it is, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll kind of see why and, and why not a little bit. So, yeah. so here it is in verse one, uh, it says every friend declares friendship, but there are friends who are friends in name only. Hmm. Uh, true <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is not a sorrow into death when you uh your other self becomes your enemy i lost my companion why were you created to fill the earth with deceit a harmful friend will look at look to your table but in time of trouble he stands aloof and we have all had those friends yeah <laughs> a good friend will fight with you against the foe and against your enemies he will hold up your shield do not forget your comrade during the battle and do not neglect him when you distribute your spoils Every counselor points out a way, but some counsel uh, ways of their own. Watch out when one offers advice. Find out first of what what he wants, for he also may be thinking of himself. Why should the opportunity fall to him? I mean, again, this is just good wisdom stuff. Like, and yeah. this is that this book of Sirach is actually the largest uh, wisdom book in antiquity that we have. Um, so. Hmm. It is it's pretty interesting because I, I believe job is 40 chapters and this is uh 51 so it's, wow you know so it, it's it's part of that uh that w- wisdom literature that's in proverbs and in job and and yeah uh, and, nice and Ecclesiastes <laughs> so where did it okay so yeah watch out when one offers advice find out first what he wants uh, seek no advice uh, from your. This is a funny one. Seek no advice from your father in law and from one who is envious <laughs> of you. Keep your intentions <laughs> hidden. So this might be one of those things where it's like, okay, should that really be in the canon? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't listen but, to your father in law.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, because is this you know being inspired, right? Yeah. So, but you you see a lot of the wisdom in here as well. Seek True. no advice. <laughs> so uh, seek no advice from a woman about her rival. From a coward about war, from a merchant about business, from a buyer about value, from a um, uh, miser from about generosity, from a cruel person about well being, from a worthless worker about his work, from a mm. seasonal laborer about the harvest, from an idle slave about a great task. Uh, pay no attention to any advice I give. Okay, so again, yes. that's interesting stuff, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, associate with a religious person who you know keeps the commandments, who is like-minded with yourself and will grieve for you if you fall. Then to heed your own heart's counsel, for there is nothing you can depend on more. The heart can reveal your situation better than seven sentinels on a tower. Then, with all this, pray to God to keep your steps firm in the true path. okay?
0: yeah, I can i I can dig that
1: see that? Yeah. So um, I'm going to skip a little bit here. Um, here, here it says, my, my son, while you are well, govern your appetite and see that you do not allow it. Uh, what is bad for you for not everything is good for everyone, nor is everything suited to every taste. Yeah. Do not go to excess with any enjoyment, neither become a glutton for food choice foods. For sickness comes with overeating, and gluttony brings on nausea. <laughs> through through lack of self-control, many have died, but the uh, abstemious one prolongs life. It's just you know life advice here. Yeah,
0: that's pretty um, pretty simple.
1: Now um, I, I like thirty-eight here. It's pretty pretty interesting as well. Uh, th- this whole one you know is kind of the main one for me. So make friends with the doctor, for he is essential to you god all god has also established him in his profession from god God the doctor has wisdom and from the Hmm. king he receives sustenance knowledge makes the doctor distinguished and gives access to those in authority god makes the earth yield healing herbs which the prudent should not neglect was not the water sweetened by a twig you know again referencing the moses thing uh, so Hmm. that all might learn his power He endows people with knowledge to glory in his mighty works, through which the doctor eases pain and the druggist prepares his medicines. Thus God's work continues without cease in its efficacy on the surface of the earth. My son, when you are ill, do not delay, but pray to God, for it is he who heals. Flee wickedness and purify your hands. Cleanse your heart of every sin. Offer your sweet-smelling Oblation and memorial uh, a generous offering according to your means, then give the doctor his place, lest he leave you you need him to for there are times when recovery is in his hands he too prays to God that his diagnosis may be correct and his treatment bring about a cure hmm. and at any in any time if you want to chime in or, or like uh, you know say pause you can
0: um I was going to ask you where you're at because I'm trying to f- I have my the book of Sirach pulled up, but I forgot the uh, chapter thirty-eight, verse fourteen. Okay, there we go. I was trying to follow along so I could uh, <laughs> try to uh, jump in there, but yeah. I could not I could not figure out where I was. Oh, at. This comment, uh,
1: paleo diet, yeah, for the the gluttony thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you said thirty-eight, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: And uh, I, I love which, this because which you know verse? Uh, fourteen right now. So okay, there it is. Gotcha. I like I like this aspect of this idea that, you know, that because there's this tension in Christendom about healing, right? About yeah. wellness and about, you know, do you do you pray to God for healing or mm-hmm. do you go to a doctor,
0: right? Yeah, that was interesting.
1: And, and you, you see this passage about how did, you know, second temple Jews, and this was written 200 years before Jesus, right? So this is mm-hmm. in the second century BC. So this is only a few hundred years after all of the prophets few hundred years before Jesus, so this is the Jewish community. How are they interpreting the old testament and yeah. all of this thing? And what's interesting with them is that they are simultaneously it, it's not an either or.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: is like your healing may be brought about like instantaneously, or by the care of a doctor, or by yeah. the herbs of the earth which God has provided for you and that the prudent will take heed of and actually use. <laughs> yeah. It's like God has literally provided through the earth Mm-hmm. Medicines and and uh, and natural things that we can take advantage of and yeah. that we do take advantage of. So, it, you know, to it's so funny because a Second Temple Jew wouldn't understand the dichotomy today, where it's like, uh, you know, uh, a Christian may have said, "Well, I'm not going to go to the doctor or I'm not going to take any herbs or, or pills or do, you know do anything. Uh, you know, I'm just going to wait for my healing." It's like, yeah. okay. And then you have skeptics where it's like, see, we don't need God. We have medicine. We have doctors. And it's like neither would, like a Second Temple Jew wouldn't understand either dichotomy. Yeah.
0: They're too far in the extreme in either direction.
1: Yeah, because it's it's God who provides yeah. them both. He gives knowledge to the doctor. He provides the herbs that he, he takes advantage of. And yeah. God also, through, again, supernatural or natural means, can mm. make a person well, whether instantaneously or over time yeah it all comes from god
0: <laughs> it's kind of like it reminds me of this meme i saw um that said your god's not going uh how, how'd they word it um uh it's like you can pray for a hole while leaning against a shovel but that doesn't mean god's gonna dig the hole for you oh yeah kind of thing. yeah tra- it's yeah. not how it was worded yeah but yeah i not, understand yeah. that yeah yeah <laughs> so it's like you know it's, it's not that we have to not do anything i mean god's given us you know doctors people that study the medicine that can save us mm-hmm. a lot of time and energy and help us out um god's given us the resources to you know eat certain foods eat and, or take yeah, some herbs, medicines. And that yeah, yeah. <clears throat> if you eat well and you know you take care of your body you know that helps a lot of issues but um you know when there are certain things like that the just, diet yeah And when there are there are certain things that's no matter how healthy you eat or how much you work out or whatever, you'll still get sick periodically. So that's, you know, those points, you know, you'll need some help. And, you know, it's not bad to take medicine. It's also not bad to pray. So it's 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 it it was very interesting. It's like
1: your famous statement throughout this podcast. It's yeah. it's not a either or. It's a both and. Yeah,
0: <laughs> the mo- the famous theologian saying one liner, whatever you want to call it. But it's, it's always always comes back to that.
1: Yeah, I'm it, it, as we see, you know. Yeah, and you can kind of see why this is, you know, um, re- so, sort of revered even by. You know the the catholic canon and why mm-hmm. it's included in there not just for the history but that they included the maccabees like which is the history but then they also included mm-hmm. this because they felt like it was wisdom right yeah and so um you know again how, how inspired is it at what level is it on par with this i'd still consider it kind of second tier only because it's not mm-hmm. uh in the era of the prophets it's post era mm-hmm. you know the prophetic era um and also it's not included in the again the, Palestinian, the the Pharisee Canon, you know, the, the canon that was agreed in the the Council of Jamnia uh, mm-hmm. in, in the first century AD, and all that stuff. But again, you you see the usefulness of this uh, already. Yeah. And so
0: it's like a, and why it kind of ecclesiast- It's kind of like Ecclesiastes or Proverbs. You know, it's um, mm-hmm. just giving kind of some general wisdom, even though we would count those as more inspired, because you know it doesn't say don't trust your father in law. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. so
0: yeah <laughs> there's also that
1: so do you want to do you want to take a little bit from there or yeah
0: Does let me grab it real quick because i didn't realize when you you had said ecclesiast- ecclesiasticus right yeah and then but it's also um C-Rock. C-Rock. Yeah. yeah okay so i was looking at and i didn't have ecclesiastic it, they didn't call it ecclesiasticus in my book they call they it they call by it different names so. yeah so i was like oh i actually do have it in my book so i was trying to i was trying to pick find it like a pdf on google that's why i was kind of mm-hmm. quiet there for a minute but uh, just let me grab the page right over here. Five,
1: oh, here I can read the rest of 38, and then you can read 39 once you find it. Okay. So uh, whoever is a sinner before his maker will be defiant toward the doctor. That's interesting.
0: Hmm. That's a little harsh.
1: My yeah, my son shed tears for no one, or for one who is dead, with wailing and bitter lament, as is only proper. Prayer, prepare the body and do not uh, absent yourself from the burial weeping bitterly mourning fully pay your tribute of sorrow as deserved a day or two to prevent gossip then compose yourself after your grief for it's like there's a time for mourning and there's a time for it's like the you yeah. know Ecclesiastes um, for grief can be can bring on death and heartache can sap one's strength we know that to be true yeah when a person is carried away sorrow is over and the life of the poor one is grievous uh, grievous to the heart Uh, Do not turn your thoughts to him again. Cease to recall him. Think rather of the end. Do not recall him, for there is no hope of his return. Wow, that's pretty hard. (laughs) Mm. You do him no good, and you harm yourself. Remember that his fate will also be yours. For him, it was yesterday. For you, today. Wow. Man. With the dead at rest, let memory cease. Be consoled once the spirit has gone. Hmm. But it's like, it gives, it's like, mourn yeah. fully. Yeah. It's like, get, like, fully get that out, right? Get out of your system. <laughs> and, you know, and we see that in the Bible, like, there was a time, like, for Jacob, there was a, you know, a mourning, you know, in the land of Egypt uh, over, over the death of, of Jacob. Uh, there, you know, there was a time for mourning. And, yeah, again, that just calls back to Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Um, how can one become learned who guides the plow? and uh thrills and in... oh yeah hold on the scribe's wisdom increases wisdom whoever is free from toil can become wise it's interesting how can one become learned who guides the plow and thrills and wielding the goad like a lance who guides the ox and urges on the bullock and whose every concern is for cattle his concern is to plow furrows and he is careful to fatten the livestock so with every engraver and designer who laboring night and day Fashions carved seals, and whose concern is to vary the pattern. His determination is to produce a lifelike impression, and he is careful to finish the work. So too the smith sitting by the anvil, intent on the iron he forges. The flame from the fire sears his flesh, yet he toils away in the furnace heat, and the cling of the hammer deafens his ears. His eyes are on the object he is shaping. His determination is to finish the work, and he is careful to perfect it in detail. So also, the potter sitting at his labor, revolving the wheel with his feet, he uh, is always concerned for his products and turns them out in quantity. With his hands he molds the clay, and with his feet softens it. His determination is to complete the the glazing, and he is careful to uh, fire the kiln. All these are skilled with their hands, each one an expert at his own work. Without them, no city could be lived in, And and wherever they stay, they do not go hungry. But they are not sought out for the counsel of the people, nor are they prominent in the assembly. They do not sit on the judge's bench, nor can they understand law and justice. They cannot expound discipline or judgment, uh, nor are they found among the rulers. Yet they maintain the fabric of the world, and their concern is for exercise of their skill. Which, wow. I mean, very, very interesting. Uh, Which then leads into... uh, 39, which you want to pick it, have? it up there? Yeah, you can yep. pick it up there.
0: I will say my translation is a little different than yours. It might be a little bit uh, harder to read mm-hmm. or harder to understand just because I think it's like an old English type of oh, okay. translation. So, just as a disclaimer, okay. <coughs> yeah, <laughs> it sounds, uh, sounds a little different. Um, okay. Yeah. But he that giveth his mind to the law of the Most High and is occupied in the meditation thereof will seek out the wisdom of all the ancient and be occupied in prophecies. He will keep the sayings of the renowned men, and where subtle parables are, he will be there also. He will seek out the secrets of grave sentences and will be conversant in dark parables. He shall serve among great men and appear before princes. He will travel through strange countries, for he hath tried the good and the evil among men. He will give his heart to restore or to resort resort early to the Lord That made him and will pray before the most high and will open his mouth in prayer and make supplication for his sins. When the great Lord will, he shall be filled with the spirit of understanding. He shall pour out wise sentences and give thanks unto the Lord in his prayer. He shall direct his counsel and knowledge and in his secrets shall he meditate. That sounds uh, familiar, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He shall show forth that which he hath learned and shall glory in the law of the covenant of the Lord. See those kind of those few verses kind of reminiscent of uh, psalm one mm-hmm. a little bit
1: yeah, like the Council of the Almighty and,
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's interesting. <clears throat> Many shall commend his understanding, and so long as the world endureth, it shall not be blotted out, his memorial shall not depart away, and his name shall live from generation to generation. Nations shall shew forth his wisdom, and the congregation shall declare his praise. If he die, he shall leave a greater name than a thousand, and if he live, he shall increase it. Yet have I more to say, which I have thought upon, for I am filled as the moon at the full. Hearken unto me, ye holy children, and bud forth as a rose growing by the brook of the field. And give ye a sweet savor as frankincense, and flourish as a lily. Send forth a smell, and sing a song of praise. Bless the Lord and all his works. See, stuff like that. I mean, he can't really, you know, yeah. that, that sounds... You know, it's legit. I mean, you don't want to. It's not bad. This is why it's not bad to read this kind of stuff because it's not. It really heresy. is encouragement and wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not heresy to read it. It just might not meet all the criteria to be canon.
1: Yeah, because you
0: know that's pretty pretty sound. I mean, it sounds like a psalm. You know, it's mm-hmm. you know pretty good stuff. But yeah, it's it's very you know encouraging and edifying and. Mm-hmm. It's no different know, it's than reading stuff. like yeah.
1: let's just say a book now from somebody that a preacher that you really like. Yeah. It's like good good advice, good wisdom, but even this yeah. might be a step above that cuz I would I would call that, you know, like books now like third tier, but this yeah. would be like second tier. I mean, Bible is first tier, canon is first tier, but you know, this apocrypha, I mean, that's yeah. like second tier stuff right there.
0: That's pretty good. <clears throat> uh let's see. Uh, okay. Magnify his name and show forth his praise with the songs of your lips and with harps and in praising him ye shall see ye, sh- ye shall say after this manner all the works of the, the lord yeah <laughs> it's tripping me up a couple times <laughs> all the works of the lord are exceeding good and whatsoever he commandeth shall be accomplished in due season you know that sounds like um uh i can't remember the reference but it's like uh in due season due season you shall uh, reap if you do not give up mm-hmm. you know whatever whichever verse that is I'm t- i know that i will know the reference like i'll know what it says i just am terrible about remembering the book and verse and chapter but uh yeah we
1: need like a verbal uh, kind, I know like, something pick it up. <laughs> yeah sorry
0: uh, yeah uh, let's see uh, where was I at okay uh, all the works of the Lord are exceedingly good and whatsoever he commandeth shall be accomplished in due season and none may say what is this? Wherefore is that for at time convenient they shall all be sought out at his commandment the waters stood as in heap and at the words of his mouth the receptacles of waters at his command at his commandment is done whatsoever pleaseth him and none can hinder when he will save the works of all flesh are before him and nothing can be hid from his eyes he seeth from everlasting to everlasting and there is nothing wonderful before him a man need not to say what is this wherefore is that for he hath made all things for their uses his blessing covered the dry land as a river and watered it as a flood. As he hath turned the waters into saltness, so shall the heathen inherit his wrath. As this way, as his ways are plain unto the holy, so are they stumbling blocks unto the wicked. For the good are good things created from the beginning, so evil things for sinners. The principal things for the whole use of man's life are water, fire, iron, and salt, flour of wheat, honey, milk, and the blood of the grape, and oil, and clothing. All these things are for good to the godly, so the sinners, they are turned into evil. There be spirits that are created for vengeance, which in their fury lay on sore strokes. In the time of destruction they pour out their force, and appease the wrath of him that made them. Fire, and hail, and famine, and death, all these were created for vengeance." teeth of wild beasts and scorpions serpents and the sword pushing the wicked to destruction they shall rejoice in his commandment and they shall be ready upon the earth when need is and when their time has come they shall not transgress his word therefore from the beginning i was resolved and thought upon these things and have left them in writing all the works of the lord are good and he will give every needful thing in due season so that a man cannot say this is worse than that for in time they shall all be well and approved. And therefore praise ye the Lord with the whole heart and mouth, and bless the name of the Lord. I mean, That's not bad.
1: I, yeah, and I wanted to point out right there in verse 30, or even okay. let's get backing up a little bit to 20. So the the spirits, right, these spiritual dark forces that are trying to cause chaos, right, Yeah. in, in this, uh, you know, um, yeah, you know, fire and hail, famine, disease—these two were created for punishment. And then it says, "Ravenous beasts, scorpions, vipers, and the avenging sword to exterminate the wicked." All these were created to meet a need, and are kept in the storehouse for the proper time. And notice Jesus kind of quotes this or references this idea of these demons being stomped underfoot, like the vipers and scorpions and beast. Yeah, uh, when he talks about there. that, you would trample on on these things. You know, the the apostles. Yeah. Um, and so it's like he's not Jesus. We know from the past; wasn't talking literally about scorpions and uh, <laughs> you know yeah. vipers, but like he was making a reference to demonic forces. And so you see That's that same reference here in uh, Sirach uh, and yeah. uh, you know Ecclesiasticus. So that, so that
0: like we we're saying, it gives context to what some of this stuff you know some of what the our regular canon of scripture talks about. You know, makes more sense. Yeah, it fills that gap. Yeah. Because
1: you have this gap between the Old and New Testament. And so you have these writings, which not only help interpret the Old Testament, but then give context and lay the groundwork for the New Testament, where the New Testament again quotes these things, not just Enoch Mm -hmm. and the Assumption of Moses, but also, like, you could see Sirach and a lot of these things referenced in, um, you know, Maccabees and and a lot of this terminology as well. And so it's laying the groundwork for what the New Testament would become, which is pretty, pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. I mean, it definitely, you know, it, it's, it reads like it's a book of the Bible and it's, you know, gives good advice and everything, but, um, you know, yeah, small things here and there, you're small, like, oh, yeah, is this first
1: here?
0: So, yeah. So it's not bad to read, you know, it's it's okay to read. You just got to be able to read it, you know, know how to read it and discern, you know, the different parts of it that are, Either, you know, the writer's own opinion versus what's actual good wisdom kind of thing. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that, I mean, I wanted to also point out the the first uh, few verses part of that last chapter there in 39. Um, you know, it's the it's like the, he gives all these descriptions about people who work for a living and how, well, they're always going to, you know, have food. There's always going to be a need for them. There's, you know, of course, they're needed, everything. But if for somebody that you're running for, you know, to counsel for, it's like, well, how different the person who devotes himself to the study of the law of the most high. I mean,
0: hmm.
1: I mean, what, what are we doing here? I mean, we have jobs, but like exactly what we're doing here. Yeah. Uh, he, he explores the wisdom of all the ancients and is occupied with the prophecies. He preserves the discourses of the famous and goes to the heart of involved sayings. He seeks out the hidden meaning of proverbs and is busied with the enigmas found in parables. I mean, this is just, you know, the deep stuff, yeah. the deep thinking stuff, what we do a Biblical Brainstorm. With the wings. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he is in attendance of the great and appears before rulers. He travels among the people of foreign lands to test what is good and evil among the people. His care is to rise early, to seek the Lord his maker, to petition the Most High, to open his mouth in prayer, to ask pardon for sins. If it pleases the Lord Almighty, he... Will be filled with the spirit of understanding. He will pour forth his words of wisdom, and in prayer give praise to the Lord. I mean, he will direct his knowledge and his counsel as he meditates upon God's mysteries. Mm -hmm. Uh, He will show the wisdom of what he has learned and the glory of the law of the Lord's covenant. I mean that that is that is like the Christian life. Yeah, (laughs) like it's not just we discount that. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not just oh we, we go into the weeds and we seek mysteries and proverbs and seek understanding but mm-hmm. it's like simultaneously seeking God Yeah for and prayer and supplication and and understanding and then God granting you just that that grace mm-hmm. to to continue on, to be mm-hmm. able to give counsel and to have wisdom and understanding and to understand the word of God and, and yeah. to handle it and to, to make change in the world. I mean that's it's exactly
0: what we want to do. Yeah, know. yeah, that's definitely um, you know it's something that every or a kind of uh, lifestyle or habit that every Christian should have. But it's definitely a goal of the podcast to you know definitely learn about those things and seek those things and help you know educate fellow Christians on you know some of these things as best we can. <clears throat> and like we said before, we're not you know experts, but we're going to do the best we can to you know. Spread some of that knowledge for everybody.
1: Seek the ancients, and yeah. the wisdom of the ancients, as we're doing here. Like the wisdom the of God that that uh, is, you know, in, the, in yeah. the Word of God.
0: I always said, uh, if I can't be in a rock band, the second best thing is studying theology and wisdom of the ancients. <laughs> 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 Good so, point. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, All right.
1: Man. Yeah. Did you have anything to add on that, or discuss some things before you know we dive into Maccabees and Josephus and? stuff like that not and really it was I a lot there pretty
0: much yeah uh, the the thing you brought up with the wild beasts the scorpions the serpents you know and those specific animals and jesus um mentioning those mm-hmm. about the disciples when he sends him out did yeah, you that's find also that bird? very interesting um where jesus said that yeah oh no i didn't look it up but okay. i know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I know but it's I was saying, <laughs> yeah i know it's somewhere but um yeah let me see if i can find it real quick but um Yeah, I thought that was very interesting because it sounds, it almost sounds like Jesus was intentionally quoting that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But let me see if I can find that. Um, Let's see. So it looks like Luke 9. and when Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, "Take nothing for the journey—no staff, no bag, no bread." But Jesus, I got to get that bag and make that bread. Yeah. <laughs> Chase the bag. No money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, uh, there stay until you leave town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave the town as a testimony against them. Uh, say they set out and went. Uh, from village. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Um, let me see. Well, it's, that's, that's, uh, it was part of it, <laughs> but not quite the one that we were thinking of. Um, yeah, maybe. I know, uh, it was, I know it was when he was sending them out. Like, uh, like I said, I'm terrible with remembering the books of the Bible and the chapters, but I know when uh, in one of the gospels, when he sends them out and says, he'll give you authority to, you know, step on serpents and, yeah. Okay, opinion. I found it. Was it. Luke ten 11. nineteen. 11. Behold,
1: I have given Dang, you was a short, a <laughs> short one chapter. Yeah. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. I mean, it's the same co- same quotation. Yeah. Serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Yeah. Um. That, that is. That's exactly what You're I te- was thinking of.
0: Fire and hail and famine and death and all these were created for vengeance. Teeth of wild beasts and scorpions, serpents and the sword, punishing the wicked to destruction. They shall rejoice in his command and they shall be ready upon the earth when need is. So when their time has come, they shall not transgress his word. But yeah, talking about wild beasts, scorpions, serpents, and he almost quotes that word for word. <laughs> so yeah. it's obviously not. I mean, it could mean natural scorpions and serpents because that's well, no, like the way two, you're talking about it. Yeah, you know, two verses above what you just read. It yeah, is, with the evil spirits and everything. Yeah. So, so it's, it means, it's I mean, context. in this context, I think it's pretty sure, you know, it's pretty obvious he's talking about spirits, but it also could mean scorpions and serpents too. But in this context, spirits. So with yeah. Jesus, I mean, he could also like the same thing. It, there wasn't really anything where he was saying, um, he didn't really say spirits, but I think it's one of those things where it's implied, you know, from this kind of a worldview kind of thing.
1: And that's that's exactly what the apocrypha provides. That it provides yeah. you the worldview, it provides you the, a lot of the context from which the New Testament will arise. Yeah. And so that's how, again, it just helps with interpretation. Even if it's mm-hmm. not first tier, you say, oh, okay, it's not part of the canon, but you see it's second tier usefulness and in interpretation at the very yeah. least um, and encouragement, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good stuff. Brilliant. Yes, Sirach. The Book of Sirach. All right. So I guess from there, I'm going to uh, get into Josephus. And you're thinking, well, what does Josephus have to do with the Apocrypha? <laughs> I'm glad you asked.
0: <laughs> have we got a show for you.
1: And Veggie Tales. <laughs> I, I saw a meme of veggie Tales recently where it was uh, veggie Tales literally posted a picture of Larry the Cucumber. And yeah. he's sitting there and it says, just chilling. And he has, like, a spa treatment where he's got the thing and he's got the cucumbers on his eyes and all that stuff. <laughs> and I was, just, I was just thinking, wait a second. Wait
0: a minute. This is, this is sus. <laughs> this is a little sus among it's us.
1: Like, yeah, exactly. You got, layered, you know, the cucumber with cucumbers on his eyes. But anyways, <laughs> so. Uh, the back, side of VeggieTales. Yeah. So anyways, but we still have a show for you because, yes. uh, you know. We got is...
0: Josephus. I actually got my Josephus book this time. Last time my. Forgot to grab it.
1: <laughs> yeah, interesting stuff. So I'm going to read an excerpt out of chapter eight. So this is a part of his Antiquities where he's reading um, a part of the, um, or he's he's basically recounting Jewish history, right? And so, you said yeah. chapter eight. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a big book. Uh, do you have Antiquities there?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was just making sure I got to the right place so I could follow along with you.
1: Hmm. See here.
0: But yeah, I've gotten this one. It's pretty cool. It's got the Jewish antiquities, the Jewish war against Apion, um, an extract out of Josephus's discourse to the Greeks concerning Hades, uh, the table of the Jewish weights and measures, a list of ancient testimonies and records, uh, text of the Old Testament parallel to Josephus's histories, um, harmony of the numbering systems in the Greek and English editions of the works of Flavius Josephus. So it's a pretty cool book. I mean, it's got uh, just kind of a collection of his stuff. But, yeah, um, so let's see, you said Jewish antiquities is the one that you're quoting out of, yeah, okay, so
1: I'll go ahead and uh, and read it while you're you're finding it there, so uh, to give some context, right, so he's recounting Jewish history, and you see you know Persia is the empire, right uh, Daniel even prophesied uh, what was going to happen in Babylon, you have Babylon and then you have the rise of Persia, and then you have the rise of Greece, and then you have the rise of Um, Rome right and so you have all these three these these four kingdoms that arise and in this um, part you know of history where Josephus is writing about uh, Greece is about to take over Persia okay and so he says here now Alexander which is again Alexander the great when he had taken Gaza made haste to go up to Jerusalem and Jadua the high priest when he heard that was in agony and under terror I mean anybody would be if Alexander the Great is coming to your city right. and, <laughs> as not knowing how he should meet the Macedonians since the king was displeased at his foregoing disobedience he therefore ordained that the people should make supplications and should join with him in offering sacrifice to God whom he besought to protect the, that nation and to deliver them from the perils that were coming upon them whereupon God warned him in a dream I mean God shows up in a dream is serious, right? Right. Which which came upon him after he had offered sacrifice, that he should take courage and adorn the city and open the gates. I mean, that's what's exactly what you do to a foreign power about to take you over. Right.
0: <laughs> that the rest should yeah.
1: appear in white garments and but that he and the priest should meet the king in the habits proper to their order without the dread of any ill consequences, which the providence of God would prevent. Upon which, when he rose from his sleep, he greatly rejoiced and declared to all the warning he had received from God, according to which dream he acted entirely and so waited for the coming of the king. So Alexander the Great is coming, and he gets this dream, and he's like, okay, let me receive him. The British are coming. Uh, The British are coming. Uh, (laughs) we got a couple of comments here. So which James wrote the book of James, um, the brother of Jesus? James, so not not the disciple James. He says also, why are there so many James in the Bible? Um, because it was a common name in first century Judaism, and uh, so speaking of first century Jews, Josephus, <laughs> which again Josephus is a first century Jew living in the, around the same time of Jesus, and there yeah. would have been these both James the brother of Jesus and James, uh, you know, Thaddeus, James Thaddeus, and all the other. Uh, disciples that are around mm. at this time. So, um, also, when was someone going to tell me Mark and Luke weren't one of the twelve disciples? <laughs> <laughs> I need answers. Uh, well, uh. Uh, <laughs> when I mean it was always known. So, I, at least I feel like I always, you know, knew it. Luke was a physician and may have been a Gentile. I mean, I've always heard that. And then that Mark, uh, also known as John Mark, was a disciple of uh, Peter, the, the the you know the Apostle Peter. Hmm. So, yeah. And I mean, did you have something to add to that?
0: Mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. No. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it's a good question. You yeah. know. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I never, be- I never, I never, I don't, I never really thought of that, you know, before just, I just, I guess, uh, uh, I thought yeah. they were disciples because <laughs> well, technically- it's like with Matthew and John, like they were disciples. So I guess mm-hmm. I didn't actually, I mean, I knew that they weren't disciples, but I didn't know it until he just brought it up. Like it didn't click for some reason. Yeah.
1: They weren't, they technically were disciples, yeah. but they were disciples of the disciples,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: they, were disciples, they were the disciples of the apostles. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean they that that's you know, why it's making. Yeah,
0: That's a good point. I don't know why I never made that distinction in my mind, but yes. It's I also knew, I knew it, but I didn't know it.
1: It's also proof of its authenticity because anybody at the time would have wanted to um like, you know, make a make a book with a title of somebody else. It's like, oh, the great Peter wrote this book. And it's like yeah. it gives credence to it. Whereas somebody like Mark, like, who's Mark? Well obviously Mark is the one writing it because who would who would care about Mark writing a gospel?
0: Is you know Peter the, the, I, Peter I know and Matthew and John I know, but who the heck is Mark? <laughs> exactly. So who the heck are you?
1: that's that's why I mean that's also proof yeah. of its authenticity because it's somebody who actually wrote it versus just pseudepigrapha, which we'll talk about more in the New Testament, uh, you know, yeah. writings that are non-canonical. Um, you know, next. By the way,
0: as far as the Jewish Antiquities, um, I think I might have got the wrong book. So, were you in uh, which book were you in, and then which chapter? And Antiquities, because uh, mine's the Jewish okay. Antiquities, and that's got books one through twenty. Yeah,
1: chapter eight concerning Sanballat and Manasseh and the temple which they built on Mount Gezerim. Uh, as also how Alexander made his entry into the city of Jerusalem and what benefits he bestowed on the Jews. And then that is the, I want to say, fifth paragraph I'm reading from now. And so here, I'll I'll finish this one. Um, You can't seem to find it. My bad. and (laughs) And when he understood that he was not far from the city, so again, he's preparing for Alexander the Great to come to Jerusalem. And when he understood that he was not far from the city, he went out in procession with the priests and the multitude of the citizens. The procession was uh, venerable, and the manner of it different from that of other nations. It reached to a place called Safa, which uh, which name translated into Greek signifies a prospect. For you have thence a prospect both uh, of Jerusalem and. Hold on. And of the temple. And when the Phoenicians and the Chaldeans uh, that followed him thought they should have liberty to plunder the city and torment the high priest to death, which the king's displeasure fairly promised them, the very reverse of it happened. For Alexander, when he saw the multitude at a distance in white garments, while the priest stood clothed with fine linen... Hold on here. me.
0: But that kind of was like a... <clears throat> not an uncommon... Um, behavior from Alexander like from history, right? Like if a city just welcomed him in, he treated him fine, but if they tried to be like Tyre and uh, tell him, yeah. you ain't coming in here, then that's when there's problems.
1: <laughs> yeah, and a few paragraphs before this, he mentions the whole uh, Tyre fiasco where Alexander wasn't happy. And, <laughs> yeah,
0: so it's really- kind of one of those things where it's like, if you just let me in, I'll treat you all right. I'm in charge, but I'll treat you all right. If you don't let me in, yeah. there's no problems. <laughs> oh, you
1: know, it, it, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things where it's tough because a new king's coming in and okay. all these kingdoms are loyal to Persia. It's treated them okay thus far. Yeah.
0: And, and because there wasn't any, you know, major news networks or Twitter <laughs> to see what Alexander had been up to leading up to him arriving at your city, you know, probably was a good thing that God let them know what to do. <laughs> so yeah. that way he was accepted properly and everyone was okay.
1: Yeah. And so the high priest in purple and scarlet clothing uh, with his mitre on his head, uh, having the golden plate whereon the name of God was engraved. He approached by himself and adorned that name. And so Alexander's like, oh, look at this high priest with the name of God on his uh, golden plate. Yeah. And first saluted the high priest the jews also did altogether with one voice salute alexander and encompass him about whereupon the kings of syria and the rest were surprised of what alexander had done and supposed mm. him disordered in his mind like what are you doing like <laughs> <laughs> however these you know to these jews uh, yeah. parmenio uh, alone went up to him and asked him how it came to pass that when all others adorned him he should mm. adorn the high priest of the jews yeah. to whom he replied I did not adore him, but that God who hath honored him with his high priesthood. Mm. For I saw with this very person in a dream, in this very habit, when I was at Dios in Macedonia, which is interesting, because mm. Dios is God in Spanish. Who, when, when I was considering with himself uh, or with myself how I might obtain the dominion of Asia, exhorted me to make no delay. But boldly to pass over the sea thither, for that uh, he would conduct my army and would give me the dominion over the Persians, whence is that, having seen no other in that habit, and now seeing this person in it, that remembering that vision and the exhortation which I had in my dream, I believe that uh, that I bring this army under the divine conduct, that shall therein conquer or therewith conquer Darius and destroy the power of the Persians, and all the things will succeed according to what is in my own mind. And when he had said this to Parme- Parmenio and had given the high priest his right hand, the priest ran along by him, and he came to the, uh, into the city. And I want to pause right there. How mm. crazy is that?
0: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's very interesting. And then, like you pointed out, with the uh, Dios being Spanish, so he's coming like a, from
1: an earlier Latin and yeah, possibly Greek. The the Zeus It's Very interesting, Zeus, just the history you know. that's in it. Yeah, and that term and the name. So yeah, I mean, so Alexander shows up. They're thinking he's crazy, but he's like, "Hey, uh, so Alexander the Great apparently had this dream about meeting this high priest and saying that the god of the Jews uh, appeared to him, saying that he's going to conquer the Persians. So yeah. he's really going to kick out of what ha- what's going to happen next." which confirms that because he said and when he went up into the temple he offered sacrifice to god so alexander the great offering sacrifice to god was yeah very interesting. it's very interesting according to the high priest's direction and magnificently treated both the high priest and the priests and when the book of daniel was shown him wherein mm. wherein daniel declared that one of the greeks should destroy the empire of the persians he supposed that himself was the person intended and as he was then glad, he dismissed the multitude for the present. But the, but the next day he called them to him and bid them ask whatever favors they pleased of him, whereupon the high priest desired that they might enjoy the laws of their forefathers and might pay no tribute on the seventh year. He granted all they desired, and when they entreated him that he would, he would permit the, the Jews in Babylon and media to enjoy their own laws also, he willingly promised to do hereafter and they that what they desired. And when he said to the multitude that if any of them would enlist themselves in his army on this condition that they should continue under the laws of their forefathers and live according to them, he was willing to take them with him. Many were ready to accompany him in his wars.
0: Wow. Well, it's very a interesting story. the intersection of the you know, biblical history with the you know. Secular Roman history, yeah, yeah, it's very cool. I know they, uh, I'd always heard about Alexander the Great being you know having a connection in the biblical story, I just didn't realize it was Josephus, but then there was also, you know, like you said, in Daniel, so I always thought that was an interesting story, yeah. So Josephus
1: records this, right, about happening Mm -hmm. again hundreds of years before him, but he's talking about this scenario of Alexander the Great showing up to Jerusalem and Apparently, the priest having a dream saying, hey, don't worry, receive him. I was, you know, the great, uh, the great obviously having a dream beforehand saying, yeah. it's like, hey, uh, you're going to be fine. Uh, I mean, or the, you know, you're going to take over the Persians. I uh, yeah. remember this high priest from the dream. So this is great. I mean, this is just crazy yeah. stuff. Um, and then obviously him saying that, hey, you can retain some of your laws. Some of them join him in his army. And so then this begs the question, this leads us right into Daniel. So what is this prophecy that Daniel, uh, that is in Daniel about Alexander the Great, which the yeah. high priest gives to him? Because Alexander the Great seems to be pretty, confer- you know, a confirmation that he's supposed to take over Persia after having yeah. a dream and then reading a prophecy about himself in the book of Daniel, which is crazy. Which and also shows that the book of Daniel was written before Alexander the Great.
0: And just as a side note, Josephus uh, isn't apocrypha. He's just a um, Jewish historian that you know gave some context on some things. But the uh, yeah, yep. he's he's another good resource to add along with the apocrypha for sure.
1: Yeah, he's uh, first century A.D. So around a little after Jesus. Yeah. Um, historian, so very good, very good guy. Uh, oh yeah. To, very to very
0: good resources.
1: Resource. Yeah, uh, I'm going to quickly answer this: Is <laughs> who winner? One versus one, James, brother of Jesus. Oh, okay. So also Big James versus Little James. One, one, be one. So uh, there's a lot of James. Also, who the heck is Thaddeus? When was he added to the Bible? <laughs> a lot so of
0: Thaddeus.
1: James.
0: Thaddeus was who Luke was writing to, right? Oh, no, that's Theophilus. Oh, Theophilus. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah wrong right, TH. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah,
1: like, there's a lot of James in the Bible who would win in a wrestling, Uh, and in, in, in a fight. I don't know. I mean, they all kind of, uh, I'm assuming he's talking about The Chosen Show where they talk, you know, they, they call one big James and one little James. Who knows if uh, one was actually bigger than the other. Yeah,
0: um, I'd say whichever one was closer related to Jesus must have had some extra, you know, <laughs> some, some spiritual extra, you know, manliness to him. Yeah. yeah,
1: the secret sauce. <laughs> if you're the brother of Jesus, you can't be losing a fight.
0: Yeah, so I'd say him. <laughs> yeah, he has All some divine right. intervention going on there.
1: Yeah. Speaking of fights, though, you're you're having this uh, showdown between Alexander the Great and the Persians, who are just wreaking havoc, right? <laughs> and so he stops by Jerusalem, says, "Okay, you know, pick up a few extra soldiers, spare the city." Um, and so this, he could have very easily shown Jerusalem his boss, because they're known for revolting. They're known for <laughs> having this type of... Um, yeah, yeah th- this type of resistance because of the law, because of, mm-hmm. of their god, right? That yeah. There's this resistance to foreign pagan uh, customs.
0: Yeah. And for good reason.
1: And for very good reason. yeah. And Alexander the Great could have easily shown him his boss, but then with God supernaturally intervening, giving the priest a vision, uh, Alexander the Great, you know, dream as well, and in mm-hmm. this this story that just plays out which is just absolutely crazy where Alexander the Great is reading a prophecy about himself in the book of Daniel and yeah. so what prophecy is he reading
0: what it which prophecy is it Chandler <laughs>
1: so we have Daniel chapter 8 it says in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar a vision appeared to me Daniel after that which appeared to me at the first and I saw in the vision And when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, which, again, is the capital of Persia at this time. Uh, So, and I saw in the vision, and I was in the Yule Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal, and it had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward, southward no beast could stand before him and there was none who could rescue uh from his power he did as he pleased and became great and so a little um you know keep bringing my logos bible software out so interesting uh detail here so obviously the two horns being the kings of media and persia uh which is also referenced in verse 20. so obviously one longer than the other obviously persia under cyrus absorbed the median empire so one is greater than the other and the the, you know the beast you know none of the beasts could stand before it obviously showing the might of the persian empire at this time and uh i I like this um it talks about the ram so it says ram perhaps an astrological symbol Mm -hmm. um a first century BC Zodiac list identifies Persia as a ram.
0: Wow. That's interesting.
1: So thus Daniel's use of, because of course Daniel is one of the learned men of Babylon who is, and and notice this whole idea of the Magi who are Persian, Mm -hmm. uh, which find Jesus through celestial signs, uh, you know, the signs of the heavens. And yet, so Daniel is obviously very attuned to the stars and their alignments and the heavens, and so he, you know, he's talking in these terms, and God reveals to him, it's like, hey, the ram, which to, to him, to Daniel, would have very clearly meant Persia, yeah, because the this this you know star, the sign, the zodiac sign of of Persia at that time in the first century was the ram. So he, when I know he it kind
0: him, of, him. I guess that would kind of be like if you were talking to you know preachers or a prophet or somebody in. The 80s or an era of the cold war it'd be like if god said the reds like now you know you might mm-hmm. not actually know what that means but in that time the reds meant the russians communists mm-hmm. so it's kind of like something like that where god spoke as a something, something that he would understand mm-hmm. symbolism but that's another thing michael heiser has talked about a lot um is a cosmological um, astronomical you know astrology that was
1: Presented uh, used, yeah.
0: used at that time and it explains a lot of weird passages in the Bible like we don't know how to interpret it But then once you you know put that puzzle piece together, then it all makes sense mm-hmm.
1: yeah, <clears> so <throat> The ram was the symbol the zodiac symbol for Persia and so Daniel would get this right away And okay. so then it says as I was considering behold a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth, without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. Uh, he came to the ram with the with two the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns and The ram had no power to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could stand or who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Hmm. Um, Very interesting. And in the story, Um, you know, of Alexander the Great, he reads this prophecy about himself and he's like, Yes, you know, it's like I'm the the male goat, right? The or the goat, this is me. (laughs) The you know, the goat is obviously uh Greece at, Mm -hmm. at this point, and then he's the conspicuous horn, right? And so, and it's also interpreted later, it's like the interpretation uh afterwards when and uh, you know, when. He, the angel kind of reveals to Daniel, hey, what's going on? It says, As for the ram that you saw and the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king, obviously Alexander the Great. Uh, As for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. In mm-hmm. the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king is with bold face, and I'll get to that. But, you're kind of seeing this this play out where Daniel is, I mean, giving this prophecy way ahead of time. Yeah, and then you see Alexander the Great reading this, and he's like, "Um, yeah, that's me." And it seemed as confirmation to what he's already kind of divinely experienced here as him. That would destined. that would be
0: very interesting to read something like that about yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, the he goat here also um, with. The logos here. It said the he a he goat may also be an astrological symbol. Uh, the zodiac sign Capricorn is a horned goat. In the some mm. astrological traditions, Capricorn is associated with Syria. This reason was included in, in Alexander's empire and later passed to his general Seleucus. Uh, or Seleucus, the male goat represents uh, Greece in verse 21. So mm. I mean, yeah, you're seeing this, the, you know, the, the Western goat uh, then hitting. Yeah. Right. Uh, You know, the charging at this ram, which is Persia in this vision. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying, okay, Daniel is clearly giving this this entire prophecy. You're Mm -hmm. seeing it fulfilled, you know, in Josephus' account with Alexander the Great coming, sparing Jerusalem. And this is also how the Septuagint is going to come about. The Greek translation of the Old Testament.
0: And I was going to say, I was uh, following along with you here in my copy of the Septuagint. So if there's anything you want me to read. Uh, in particular, I can bust that out for you.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Honestly, if you wanted so, to read uh, Daniel yeah. eleven, when I get to that, that'd be kind of so, interesting to see how the Septuagint
0: just to kind of hear, you know, Septuagint translated.
1: One wow, that's yeah. some old English there.
0: Yeah, eighteen fifty one translation by Sir Lancelot C. L. Brenton, very fancy. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, I gotta comment, I personally think Jesus is the goat. Just saying. Oh, so well, I couldn't resent. Yeah, no, that's true. The great, the greatest of all time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can't disagree there. <laughs> Jesus is the the goat, the, right, the greatest yeah. of all time, at least. No, not the uh, not the pagan Capricorn symbol, but <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. But Jesus is he's the greatest goat, of all time.
0: He's a goat, but he's not a goat. Yeah, <laughs> he was
1: a lamb though.
0: That too, yeah, that's true. What's the what's the acronym for lamb? <laughs> Living legend across
1: my many um um,
0: um branches <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah we tried uh, yeah, we tried <laughs> this is why i can't be a songwriter
0: yeah true yeah so
1: that would, that would be yeah so Let's you're see seeing you wanna... this uh, how this plays out so daniel writing before the fact and then you see this prophecy of alexander the great which josephus records um and this this rise of where you see the greekification or the hellenization of the jewish world where you have this kind of a little bit of friendliness between the jewish community and you know alexander the great who spared them and obviously they well, the willingness to translate the bible or the hebrew bible at the time into greek so mm-hmm. this is where we have the Septuagint so now you have the old testament which is now in greek uh, in this greek world Thanks to Alexander the Great. And which the New Testament written in Greek will quote from. So they'll quote from the Greek version of the Old Testament.
0: Oh, okay. I was about to ask you. So, um, you know, a lot of the New Testament writers and just the disciples and Jesus in general, like, for the most part, they read the Septuagint, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. They probably, (laughs) some
1: of them would have known Hebrew or Aramaic and probably both. they probably spoke Aramaic, the disciples and all of them in that world, but okay. the 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 learned ones, you know, the the educated ones, especially Paul would have been reading the Greek uh, gotcha. version, the Septuagint okay. and stuff. So, um, you also have the Aramaic targums, which are the you know writings in Aramaic uh gotcha. the Old Testament and stuff. So they all they all three, yeah, all Let's, all these three languages are are flowing around. Gotcha. So. So now we're going to go back to... So how does this deal with the Apocrypha? Well, there's a lot of prophecies in Daniel, and which happened before the fact. And then we have this book, Maccabees, 1st mm-hmm. Maccabees
0: in particular, which then... And I do have that one if you want me to read anything in that.
1: Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's not uh, it's not too long. I'll probably have you get the, the last part then, or the last half. And I'm just going to read chapter 1. So 1st Maccabees, chapter 1... So this is happening after the fact, right? And so let's see if any of this sounds familiar here. And so this history begins when Alexander the Great, son of Philip of Macedonia, marched from Macedonia and attacked Darius, king of Persia and Media. Alexander enlarged the Greek empire by defeating Darius and seizing his throne. He fought many battles, captured fortified cities, and put the kings of the region to death. As he advanced to the ends of the earth, he plundered many nations And when he had conquered the world, he became proud and arrogant. By building up a strong army, he dominated whole nations and their rulers and forced everyone to pay him taxes. When Alexander had been emperor for 12 years, he fell ill and realized that he was about to die. He called together his generals noblemen who had been uh, brought up with him since his early childhood. And he divided his empire, giving a part to each of them. After his death, the generals took control and each had himself crowned king of his own territory and descendants of these kings ruled for many generations and brought a great deal of misery on the world. (laughs) Good description. Interesting description.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I was going to say, I have, um, as far as my translation, like my Septuagint, has all of the Maccabees and everything in it, which I didn't realize I was looking at it, and it's got all of the apostles oh, nice. mixed in with it, with the Sir Lancelot's translation. Perfect. <laughs> so that's yeah. pretty cool. So it was a little different um, wording, but yeah, that's very interesting how it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like you're saying, that's familiar history. And well, if you uh, want to read the there.
1: rest of Daniel, so I was, I stopped at verse 8, so if you want to do verse 9 to verse 13 in Daniel
0: 8. All right. Let me see. We gotta scroll back here for a second. You said verse nine. Mm-hmm.
1: Eight nine. Yep. Verse or chapter eight, verse nine of
0: Daniel. Sure the thing. Oops. I mean Ezekiel. One more. <laughs> <laughs> Very close. Almost there. Yep. Uh, right here. Now we're in Daniel and. Five H nine. Okay, so chapter nine, verse what?
1: Uh, uh, chapter eight, verse nine.
0: Oh, eight verse nine. Okay. Yep. Two <laughs> thirteen. Let's see. Okay. Out of one of them came forth one strong horn, and it grew very great towards the south and toward the host, and it magnified itself to the host of heaven, and there fell to the earth some of the host of heaven and of the stars, and they trampled on them. And this shall be until the chief captain shall have delivered the captivity. And by reason of him, the sacrifice was disturbed and he prospered and the holy place shall be made desolate. And in a sin offering was given for the sacrifice and righteousness was cast down to the ground and it practiced and prospered. And I heard one saint speaking and a saint said to a certain one speaking, how long shall the vision continue? Even the removal of the sacrifice and the bringing in of the sin of desolation. And how long shall the sanctuary and host be trampled? And he said to them, Evening and morning, there shall be two thousand and four hundred days, and then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Hmm. Do you want me to stop at 14?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, if you want to read uh, verse
0: 22 to 24. And as for the one that was broken, in whose place there stood up four horns, four kings shall rise out of his nation, but not in their own strength. And at the latter time of their kingdom, when their sins are coming to the full, there shall arise a king, bold in countenance, and understanding riddles. And his power shall be great, and he shall destroy wonderfully, and prosper and practice, and shall destroy mighty men and the holy people.
1: Yep. So who is this figure? Let's turn to the rest of 1 Maccabees here. And so the whole, you know, we have Alexander the Great, his kingdom splits into four, which is prophesied in Daniel, and we see in 1st Maccabees talking about it after the fact. Um, And so the wicked ruler, uh, it says in, in verse 10, the wicked ruler Antiochus Epiphanes, which is Antiochus IV, son of King Antiochus III of Syria, was a descendant of one of Alexander's generals. Antiochus... Epiphanes had been a hostage in Rome before he became King of Syria in the year 137 so um, oh, I got a comment here chapter 8 yeah so we're talking about Daniel chapter 8 and then now I'm reading first Maccabees which is part of the Apocrypha talking about the event after the fact so we have Daniel prophesying about this event uh, with Antiochus Epiphanes and then you have the Apocrypha um, talking about the event the history of the event after Antiochus Epiphanes and the takeover. So, um, so yeah, but it's talked about in Daniel 8 and Daniel 11 in more detail, which I'll, uh, I'm about to jump to. So if you want to get ready, Seth, for chapter 11,
0: gotcha. um,
1: you can read some of that. So this is, again, First Maccabees right here. And so Antiochus Epiphanes had been a hostage in Rome before he became king of Syria in the year 137. At that time there appeared in the land of Israel a group of traitorous Jews who had no regard for the law and who had a bad influence on many of the, our people they said let's come to terms with the Gentiles for our refusal to associate with them has brought us nothing but trouble this proposal appealed to many people and some of them became so enthusiastic about it that they went to the king and received from him permission to follow the Gentile customs they built in Jerusalem a stadium like those in the Greek cities they had surgery performed to hide their circumcision, abandoned the Holy Covenant, started associating with Gentiles, and did all sorts of evil things. Hmm. Wow. If that's not reflective of some Christians today.
0: <laughs> yeah. The man.
1: tension there yeah. between the world, living a holy life, and living, but it's like being in the world but not of it. But yeah. the tension there, right? It's,
0: it's very relatable.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a little close to home. <laughs> so... And when Antiochus had firmly established himself as king, he decided to conquer Egypt and rule that country as well as Syria. He invaded uh Egypt with a large fleet of ships and a powerful army, including chariots, elephants, and cavalry. When the attack came, King Ptolemy of Egypt, which would be Ptolemy the Sixth, I believe, turned and fled, and many of his soldiers were killed. Antiochus was able to capture the fortified cities of Egypt and plunder the whole land. Hmm. Then Antiochus in the third in the year one forty three after the conquest of Egypt, Antiochus marched with a great army against the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. So there's a time gap here, which we didn't cover, okay. um, which is in other histories and also in prophecy in Daniel. What's interesting is what happens in between this gap of uh, him being arrogant and attacking Israel. I mean, and, you know, Jerusalem and mm-hmm. his conquest of Egypt is that at one point he goes to conquer Egypt and you see these ships of um, of Rome
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> that come in and they say, hey, we made an alliance with King Ptolemy of Egypt And if you you know attack Egypt, Sir Antiochus, which is a Hellenized or a Greekified uh, Persian Empire, mm-hmm. if you attack this Greekified Egypt, Uh, Rome, we will go to war with you. Uh, And so, crazy story, right? Yeah. And it's like, wait, oh, snap. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, because we noticed he was just, uh, you know, he was in in, uh, captivity to the Romans at one point. Yeah, so he's
0: probably a little hesitant there. <laughs>
1: and the story goes that uh, here you have Antiochus in war and all of his men that outnumber him, and then you have a few uh, Roman soldiers and a senator dressed in a toga, and they go up and meet, and the uh, the Roman senator says, uh, because and this is the Roman Republic at the time, not the Roman Empire, Julius, is gotcha. here years later. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> so he goes up and... He says, hey, um, you either leave this place um, and not attack, or you attack this place and feel the full uh, wrath of the Roman Empire that is just now starting to rise at this time and saying that we're going to protect Ptolemy with our treaty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so Antiochus is like, let me go and make a, you know, let me talk to my men first. Let me decide, do all this. You know, let me go back and, and consult. Uh, people
0: get back with your people.
1: Let me get, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, the Roman senator was uh, went ahead and drew a circle around him and said, uh, if you leave this circle without giving me an answer, i just c- consider that a declaration of war. Ooh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you woke up and chose violence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's one of those just crazy stories of history. I'm just like, I, you had to be there. Like If yeah. I had a time machine, I would have loved to see this.
0: Yeah, that would have been pretty interesting to watch.
1: <laughs> I mean... Notice Antiochus is more powerful probably than the Roman Empire this time, but he's not more powerful than both the Greekified Egyptian in Ptolemy and Roman Republic. Yeah, and the Roman Republic is the senator just like draws a circle around him. It's like, yep, you gonna give me an answer? It, it, it's it's you know that SpongeBob
0: episode where they draw a circle. <laughs> I was about to say That's <laughs> they a circle, drew a sea bear yeah. circle around him. <laughs> That's a
1: noble not a circle. <laughs>
0: It's that like, was an oval. If you it get out of it, you get circle. attacked. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness we're wearing our anti-sea right now for so undergarments. garments. <laughs> SpongeBob Man. Somebody says we can watch this on Heaven's DVR when we get there. Honestly, yeah. I mean, I wonder, would... if had, wonder if Heaven has a streaming service.
1: <laughs> <laughs> see, see the the corridors of time, history of history of,
0: of the past. Season thirty-five, Egypt, when uh, Ptolemy comes and shows up, and they draw the circle.
1: Yeah, I mean, here's this Roman senator who's like, uh, told, apparently has told him he's back. And he's like, drill the circle. And so he he just basically said, retreated at that moment because he didn't want to get out of the circle. And he's like, you know what, fine, we won't attack. <laughs> and that was, and uh... he, he was so humiliated by this yeah. that, you know, and he took out his hanger on Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, because that makes a lot of sense, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean there is this principle of you know if something bad happens at work that uh, you know like if something bad happens and then you go and take it out on the dog or the cat you know yeah it's like you know not that anybody should or actually does that but yeah, it's justified it, but <laughs> it, it's it's the principle of you know like you have a you have a bad day and everybody else gets faces it instead of yeah. the people that gave you the bad day. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of one of the things here. Antiochus is just uh, definitely humiliated by uh, the Roman senator and this his attempted attack on Egypt that didn't apparently go through now. Right. That he basically takes his forces and goes and <laughs> makes a statement with Jerusalem. Hey, Jerusalem,
0: that, I'm so mad at Egypt, I'm going to ruin your whole existence. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and that's exactly what he does. And so here we see, picking up in, back in that verse, So after the conquest of Egypt, Antiochus marched with a great army against the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. In his arrogance, he entered the temple and took away the gold arch altar. That's a Mm. no no. Yeah. The lampstand with all its equipment. Oof, the table for the bread offered to the Lord. Again, if you know what's Mm. inside the temple of these these things. Yeah. The cups and bowls and gold fire pans and curtain, the curtain and the crowns. He also stripped all the gold from the front of the temple and carried off the silver and gold and everything else of value, including all the treasures that he could find stored there. And then Man. he, yeah, then he took. It all to his own country and had also murdered many people and boasted arrogantly about it. There was great mourning everywhere in the land of Israel. Rulers and leaders groaned in sorrow. Young men and young women grew weak. The beauty of our woman faded. Every bridegroom uh, sung, sang a funeral song and every bride sat mourning in her room. All our people were clothed with shame and our land trembled for them mm-hmm. to- Two years later, sent a large army. Uh, Antiochus sent a large army from My- Mysia uh, against the towns of Judea. When the soldiers entered Jerusalem, their commander spoke to the people, offering the terms of peace, uh, of, of peace and completely deceiving them. Then he suddenly launched a fierce attack on the city, dealing it a major blow and killing many people. He plundered the city, set it on fire, and tore down its buildings and walls. He and his army took the women and children as prisoners and seized the cattle. Then Antiochus and his forces built high walls and strong towers in the area north of the temple, turning it into a fort. They brought in a group of tra- traitorous, uh, or treacherous Jews and installed them there. Uh, they These were the ones who, again, were Hellenized, right? Yeah. Uh, Greekified, to say. Uh, they also brought in arms and supplies and stored them in the fort. Uh, all the loot that they had taken in Jerusalem, this fort became a great threat to the city. The fort was a threat to the temple a constant evil menace for israel innocent people were murdered around the altar the holy place was defiled by murderers the people of jerusalem fled in fear and the city became a colony of foreigners jerusalem was foreign to its own people who had been forced to abandon the city her temple was as empty as a wilderness her festivals were turned into days of mourning her sabbath joy into shame her honor became an object of ridicule her shame was as great as her former glory And her pride turned into deepest mourning Antiochus how now issued a decree that all nations in his empire should abandon their own customs and become one people all the Gentiles and and even many of the Israelites submitted to this decree they adopted the official pagan religion offered sacrifices to idols and no longer observed the Sabbath man (sighs) bad day that is intense the king also sent messengers with a decree to Jerusalem and all the towns of Judea, ordering the people to follow customs that were foreign to the country. He ordered them not to offer burnt offerings, grain offerings, or wine offerings in the temple, and commanded them to treat Sabbaths and festivals as ordinary workdays. Yikes. Man. They they were even ordered to defile the temple and the holy things in it they were commanded to build pagan altars temples and shrines and sacrifice pigs and other unclean animals there in the temple wow they were forbidden to circumcise their sons and were required to make themselves ritually unclean in every way they could so that they could forget the law which the lord had given through moses and would disobey all its commands the penalty for disobeying the king's decree was death (laughs) wow the king was only issued the same decree throughout his old. Uh, was not only issued the same decree throughout his whole empire but he also appointed officials to supervise the people and commanded each town in Judea to offer pagan sacrifices many of the Jews were ready to forsake the law and to obey these officials man when persecution comes that some Christians that happens too yeah many of the Jews were ready to forsake the law and obey these officials they defiled the land with their evil and their conduct forced all true Israelites to hide wherever they could on the 15th day of the month of Kislev in the year 145, King Antiochus set up the awful horror, the abomination desolation, which mm-hmm. was prophesied in Daniel, which you'll get to read here. Okay. The awful horror on the altar of the temple and the pagan altars were built in the towns throughout Judea. Pagan sacrifices were offered in front of houses and in streets. Any books of the law which were found were torn up and burned. And anyone who was caught with a copy of the sacred books or obeyed the law was put to death by order of the king. Month after month, these wicked people used their power against the Israelites caught in the towns. On the 25th of the month, these same evil people offered sacrifices on the pagan altar erected on top of the altar in the temple. Mothers, Mothers who had allowed their babies to be circumcised were put to death in accordance with the king's decree. Their babies were hung around the, their necks, and their families and those who had circumcised them were put to death. But many people in Israel firmly resisted the king's decree and refused to eat that what was ritually unclean. They preferred to die rather than break the holy covenant and eat unclean food. And many did die. In this anger, God made Israel suffer terribly. Hmm. Who? Yeah, uh, that, that that is intense, tough, and I mean this again. This that's
0: this. why like a lot of the, um, um, a lot of the stuff having to do with like the Antichrist and Christ Second Coming and stuff is compared to this, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, because so, it's because you know they call it the abomination and desolation and you know all that stuff. So a lot of like Christ's Second Coming and like the Antichrist figure and everything is compared to, you know. Antiochus Epiphanes, Epiphanes, what's his name? Epiphanes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um, yeah, makes more sense now.
1: <laughs> yeah, and Jesus compares. So da- notice Daniel prophesies this abomination desolation, and then Jesus, uh, then in the same kind of context, prophesies the abomination desolation that will happen in seventy A.D. with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Romans in seventy oh, A.D. Yeah. Which then also reflects of hey, like you said, what's happening at the end of the age. Yeah. And so, That's yeah, I hear geez. <laughs> Gives <laughs> me flashbacks to Eli's sons and Samuel's sons and their conduct in the temples. Humans are good at screwing things up. Yeah.
0: World heavyweight champions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, this, again, it, what is amazing, though, about this story is that there were those who resisted. There were a lot of Jews who just gave in. Yeah. But there were a lot of Jews who went to the death for it. Mm. and kept their faith and would not defile themselves uh you know and, and keep the law and all that and what's amazing is that you you, you see the Maccabean revolt happen right after this that the, mm. the Jews will get so angry that the Maccabean revolt happens and thus the, why the books are even recorded here the first second Maccabees is because it's telling you the context what happens and then we're you know Jews are being oppressed once again um, Yeah.
0: So that's that's another thing. Like I mentioned it before, I can I would never, for the life of me, understand anti-Semitism. Like, why would anyone have any reason to hate Jews? They're always the ones being attacked and killed and pillaged. And it's <laughs> like what what the heck did they ever do to anybody?
1: Just yeah, exactly. Yeah. They don't they resist. That's yeah. <laughs> they they, re- they
0: resist being oppressed, and then they're the bad guys.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you just see the situation where they're getting persecuted. They finally rise up and revolt, mm-hmm. and they conquer again. They they conquer back Jerusalem, right, mm-hmm. and, and Israel from this from this uh, Greekified Persian, you know, Antiochus reign, mm-hmm. uh, and and this lasts a little bit until then the Romans took over Israel, oh, yeah. and. Uh, you have that situation
0: and then they rebelled again <laughs> <laughs> which is when jesus came in the heat of all that and that's why they didn't think he was you know we went over that a little bit but that's why they didn't think he was the messiah because he wasn't a warrior. they were wanting a
1: maccabean ruler and yeah. the, again this sets up the context so this is how the use the usefulness of the apocrypha because you mm-hmm. know the history and the context and it sets up Jesus coming in as the Messiah. And you notice why the disciples are are hoping that Jesus is this new Maccabean ruler to th- overthrow the Romans like Mac, you know, the Maccabean revolt took back after Antiochus mm-hmm. in the same situation. And yeah, Jesus is a very different, he's the Messiah, he's very different. Yeah. Um, and I love this comment. Imagine a biblical brainstorm with Daniel actually there. That'd be yeah. cool. Yeah, if, I mean, if if Daniel maybe know, one know, day appeared and put him in the in the third thumbs- <laughs> on
0: today's show, we have a special guest, Daniel, <laughs> with his uh, New York best- or number one best-selling New York Times book, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we'll, we'll read his book.
1: Yeah, <laughs> everybody's read your books, sir. You know, big
0: fan. <laughs> big fan. We love your book. I have a signed copy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man, yeah, that'd be that- pretty cool. So, if you want to then, so what's interesting about all the scenario, which First Maccabees records the history, again, yeah. showing you the usefulness of the Apocrypha and, and the history, again, it's second tier. Maybe not, it's, it maybe not should be canon, but mm-hmm. you have this, it's like, well, we have the context of everything yeah. here. We have the history um, and why it's included in the Catholic canon, even though you know it's not in the Protestant canon. So, yeah, um, but they are useful read as we can see. But mm-hmm. then now let's turn to Daniel, which is few hundred years before this event and what does he say about all this event that's going to take place so i'm not going to take too much time in daniel 11 daniel like you can see the whole situation in daniel 11 where he's prophesying all these events with the king of the the north and the king of the south right the king of ptolemy in the south and the king of antiochus in the north and you see multiple kings uh Mm. and it's so it's it's going through time very quickly in these prophecies so when it says the king of the north and the king of the south uh, there's multiple kings. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not just one king of the south and one king of the north. Like it's going through time periods here, and then finally we get through to what you know I want you to read, um, which is verses. Um, well, here, yeah, twenty-seven through thirty-five. But before you read twenty-seven through thirty-five, I was just going to point out uh, verses one through four real fast.
0: Okay.
1: So, and as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood and confirmed the strength in me. Uh, And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than all of these. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, Alexander the Great, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven. Again, Alexander the Great's kingdom broke up into four kingdoms. But not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. So, see it a little bit in Daniel 8, reiterated in Daniel 11. You see it actually take place in in history, and it's recorded in 1 Maccabees, and it's also recorded in Josephus. And so, it's amazing how Daniel predicts this, and you see this play out in history. Yeah. So, if you want to read then... um, so actually I had, yeah, I had one more logos thing actually to that with, with the okay. first part. And so uh, this section of what you're, you know, about to read in, in chapter 11 outlines the succession of kings during the transition period from Persian dominance to Greek dominance, represented by the third and fourth beast of Daniel 7 and the ram and the goat in chapter 8, which we read. Mm-hmm. The, str- the struggle for control of Palestine between the rival Hellenistic Greek kingdoms of the Ptolemies and the Seleucids also receives attention the career of the little horn of chapter 7 and 8, which we read. Also mm-hmm. receives greater detail. All of these events were experienced by the Jewish people after Daniel's lifetime. And so the three kings of Persia was mentioning the, that, you know, after these three kings shall arise are Darius, Xerxes, and uh, Artaxerxes. And then the fourth kingdom, which arise afterwards.
0: And if you've watched 300, you're familiar with Xerxes.
1: Yeah. And so... <laughs> Um
0: Cause that's the same Xerxes, right?
1: Uh I think it's a different Xerxes. Um because there, there was a bunch of them, wasn't there? Or because was yeah, this is uh that's a different Xerxes because the 300 Xerxes is before Daniel. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Or actually no.
0: Because I know it's in, it's Greek and it's Persia taking over. It might be the same there.
1: Xerxes. Yeah. It's the same it's after Daniel. Okay, but before Alexander the Great.
0: I know you're the history major, so I'll defer to you on this. No,
1: you're, you're right. It might be the, the right Xerxes, because it says more kings that arise than these Persian kings, including Xerxes. Uh, the king who... Yeah, the king could alternatively... Uh, yeah, so... But in the connection with the fall of Persia to Alexander, and the next verse makes Darius III. Um, okay, and then verse 3, obviously, the mighty king, Alexander. So... Yeah. That's Alexander the Great, and oh, this is what I wanted to point out, so in some of these verses, the King of the South tell me the first, and the you know Seleucus the first mm-hmm. and um so yeah, he will Antiochus, the third, the great, and the Antiochus share uh this trait of this this uh this strength which Alexander arises from, so that's where you'll read in verses um. What did I say? 27? 27, yeah. 27 to 35.
0: Already. <clears throat> and again, this is the uh, 1800s uh, translation of the Septuagint. Um, and as for as for both the kings, their hearts are set upon mischief, and they shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper, for yet the end is for fixed time. And he shall return to his land with much substance, and his heart shall be against the holy covenant, and he shall perform great deeds and return to his own land. And at the set time he shall return and shall come into the south, but the last expedition shall not be as the first. For the Sidians issuing forth shall come against him and he shall be brought low and shall return and shall be incensed against the holy covenant. And he shall do thus and shall return and have intelligence with them that have forsaken the holy covenant. And seeds shall spring up out of him and they shall profane the sanctuary of strength and they shall remove the perpetual sacrifice and make the abomination desolate. And the transgressors shall bring about a covenant by deceitful ways, but a people knowing their God shall prevail and do valiantly. And the intelligent and the intelligent of the people shall understand much and they shall fall by the sword and by flame and by captivity and by spoil of many days. And when they are weak, they shall be helped with a little help, but many shall attach themselves to them with treachery. And some of them will understand some of them that understand shall fall to try them as with fire and to test them and that they may be manifested at the time of the end for the matter is yet for a set time.
1: Yeah, so a couple of key things. I mean, you see Daniel clearly predicting what's happening with Antiochus, and so some of the history here, which is interesting that he points out, which I'll fill in the details here a little bit. And Mm -hmm. so, um, twenty-seven. So the two kings that he's referring to here is Ptolemy the sixth and Antiochus the fourth. So there's these two kings. uh, Their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. So they kind of make this treaty thing that they're going to take out this other third power in the kingdom. But in their, in both of their, at the back of their minds, they're both actually plotting evil to take over each other, and so that's why it also says <laughs> they shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. Which is Again, another
0: another SpongeBob reference. It's when they're at the Employee of the Month episode, so they're at the end of doing all these uh, pranks on each other to get to the Krusty Krab first, and they're like, "All right, we're gonna have a good, clean fight." And it's uh, you know, we're gonna be fair about it, and they shake hands, looking at each other. Here's a like an truce, or like we're gonna call it truce, and they start mm-hmm. shaking hands. And it's like, <laughs> as soon as he stops shaking my hand, I'm <laughs> gonna make a run for it. <laughs> so truce, I think I vaguely remember
1: that episode too. That's pretty funny. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening here. You know, these two kings. Yeah. And Daniel prophesized it hundreds of years before. Crazy. Very. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. This is Antiochus. And he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. So again, this is the whole thing that was uh, explained in Maccabees, in which I filled in that gap, where Antiochus mm-hmm. is coming into the south to take it over. But for the ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw. And shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant.
0: Hmm. Whoa.
1: Daniel, way ahead of his time here. <laughs> the Romans don't even exist really. Like yeah. in this so it's, he doesn't refer to them as Romans. Obviously, that would say that that would be proof that Daniel is a later document. But we know that Daniel is an early document because of the textual evidence, because yeah. linguistically, linguistically, mm-hmm. Daniel is an early document. Mm-hmm. So he, he simply says that the, the ships of Kittim so come against him. Mm. These, we, know, we now know what he's referring to in prophecy later. This would become the Romans, what okay. he's referring to. So the Romans come to Antiochus, and he says, uh, you know, the whole circle thing, draws a circle and yeah. you know, leave kind of thing. But it's so crazy because imagine what Daniel's seeing. Daniel doesn't even know of the like the six, like super powerful Roman Republic. Yeah. Uh, that will be that will be one day. He just knows them of these people of the west, you know, these these boats that come in uh, from Kittim and mm-hmm. this, you know, it, it is there, right? Uh, and encounters Antiochus this this you know, ruler of the north, as as yeah. Daniel knows it, right? He, Daniel doesn't have all the details, but he's prophesying all these things, and then we get to see this after the fact in the apocrypha and in other historical sources what happened. So, if it wasn't for the apocrypha, again, telling the useless, we wouldn't see how Daniel's prophecies are fulfilled. Now, yeah. again, these books are after the prophetic age, after the prophets. So, are they fully inspired? Are they on par with Scripture? Should they be canon? Not, yeah. not really, right? Not but, to that standard, But yeah. do they help with context? Do they help with history? Do they help with interpreting the Scripture and showing the fulfillment of Scripture? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah, very much.
1: And he shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Again, he goes back to Jerusalem and says, Hey, Jerusalem, I'm about to whack you.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and your Holy oh, Covenant, right? Yeah. And again, forces from him shall appear and Profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and shall set up the abomination that makes desolate, which we just read. And, you know, skipping down a little bit. Uh, I love this. And this is the famous verse of Daniel, which I've seen preached on. Uh, But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Yeah. And we see that used, but we don't understand the context of it. But yeah. then you read First Maccabees, and who are the people of God who stand firm, who know that God stand firm? It's these people who, but many people in Israel, reading First Maccabees 1, uh, verse 62, but many people in Israel firmly resisted the king's decree and refused to eat that was ritually unclean. They preferred to die rather than break the holy covenant and eat unclean food, and many did die. In his anger, God made Israel suffer terribly. So, and this is the same situation, Daniel. Daniel refuses the food, yeah, uh, of, of the king, and you see God's favor upon him, and and like I, it's just so crazy how this comes full, full circle that God is yeah. giving Daniel prophecy about the future, about the the people of God who will receive this kind of, uh, you know, yeah, like same situation, this same dilemma, and they're like, okay. The, they will those who know their God, because those who don't, they become like the Hellenized Jews, right? Yeah. They become like the people. But the ones who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by the sword and flame. Again, they were persecuted and killed. Yeah. By captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to them with fire. Flatter- so this little help, that's the Maccabean revolt. Okay. So that all these sense. people, all these people that are not defiling themselves, and then they're getting persecuted, and then this little help comes. And then all of a sudden afterwards, you see, again, this—this this, uh, people still are influenced away from God. Yeah. And it says... A little help, right? The Maccabean Mm -hmm. rule. And many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some with the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it shall await the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself, and all this stuff. And what's crazy is, even though the Maccabean rule was successful, more Jews still became more and more Hellenized and And so the Maccabean revolt at first was a pure movement, and then it slowly became, I guess, more of a political one where they, they kind of took the Greeks away, you know, yeah. like, you know, like stopped them, and now you've restored Israel. But now oh. it's it's a more secular, Greekified Israel than ever ever before. Okay. So, so
0: it helped in a way, but not really.
1: <laughs> it helped enough, and it helped with the persecution, but yeah. eventually you'll see that they're more secular than before and you're going to see rome later anyway just take it over and thus the context of jesus arising
0: yeah so yeah it gives a lot more perspective as to what was going on in jesus's time and why he was treated kind of the way he was and what their mindset of the jews was because mm-hmm. it wasn't like it they were just there was nothing going on and the jews were just kind of hanging out and then jesus shows up and they just chose not to like him for no reason exactly so there's was, there was a story behind it mm-hmm. <laughs> so and, you know and as we like you'd said before, there's a reason you know. Like we're saying, the apocrypha is you know it's not bad; it's still good to read because look at how much it just added to everything, mm-hmm. especially in First Maccabees.
1: Yeah, and and that's the that's the thing. Like people are wondering, like, well, why did the Jews not just accept Jesus when he showed up, wasn't he the Messiah? Well, there's yeah. a lot that happened.
0: Yeah there's a lot in there between going
1: and yeah. a lot of the jews were hoping for a political messiah like the maccabees to read you know to conquer israel yeah. you know take away you know the the romans and and to yeah. uh,
0: you
1: know that way and they then, can have restore the kingdom of israel that's what they wanted they wanted a yeah. political ruler and then the other people well they they were just more hellenized greek you know Greekified jews anyway because they were mm-hmm. like we just want to be a part of the world. We want to have our Olympic games. We want to have our cake and eat it too. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we don't need to do all these customs and follow the law of God. And thus, yeah. they're not even following the law of God. Why Why would they? And they're sinful. Why would they recognize Jesus? So you yeah. have a very different Israel than was before. Yeah. Which is shown kind of in the, in the story. Yeah. And, and prophesied in Daniel.
0: Yeah, and then for the people also that are looking for you know a political leader in Jesus and everything, they're wanting that, and then Jesus comes along and says, you know, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and you know, yeah, he's he not, a wrench just, in that. He's not interested at all <laughs> in doing the revolt, and they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I mean, it gives a lot of background and context as to what was going on at the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, going back to the the verses there that we pointed out, so. Against the Holy Covenant, and so it even says here in the in the software. On his way back from Egypt, Antiochus was short on funds and plundered the gold of the Jerusalem Temple. So we know that from Maccabees as well. Hmm. Uh, he will take action. Antiochus influenced his nephew Ptolemy the Sixth to control Egypt. Uh, Antiochus the Fourth invaded Egypt for a second time in 168 B.C. The ships of Kittim, a Rome. Uh, so again, in in his time, he's calling him the ships of Kittim, a Roman envoy. The Roman consul uh, Papilius uh, Leonis stipulated that Antiochus IV may withdraw from Egypt uh, or face the Roman army. He allegedly drew a circle in the sand around Antiochus, and he was not allowed to leave the circle until he responded. <laughs> Knowing that he could not defeat Rome, Antiochus complied. Humiliated and enraged, he headed home seeking an outlet for his wrath, which, again, was Jerusalem. Yeah, The Jerusalem temple was became the target for his wrath.
0: As for the Roman senator I mean talk about grabbing uh, the other dude by his gonads <laughs> it's like make a decision before you leave this circle or else it's war <laughs>
1: yeah I mean it, and it's all you know it's all that we've explained here too it's like yeah it, it's, it's just it's just crazy how much it does um give you the context about, yeah. about scripture
0: for sure yeah it, uh you know it really it's not that you need it all this information to be saved, but mm-hmm. it's adds so much to your understanding of the Bible and the history of mm-hmm. you know, God's plan and God's word. So you know, that's the main point, you know, that we're trying to get across to you guys is showing you all this cool stuff that's in there.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I wanted to, to show what Kidum, you know how like yeah. at, at this time they're not Romans. Yeah. But he's Aeneas being... hasn't
0: gone there and set up Rome yet
1: and uh and so Kidem um was a a cell like a settlement in uh Lanarka, mm-hmm. which was a like a, a really the furthest kind of like a western part of like turkey okay. um so it's like you know part of that etymology etymology there so it's it's west it also kind of means invader so it comes from the akkadian word meaning invaders uh okay. <laughs> you know having Obviously, they invaded uh, or they identified Kittim with the land of, of Kati, as the Hittite Empire was known. So okay. the people that, that you know, the Indo-Europeans there. And so it's also translated as uh, Chittim. And in in, it's in the genealogy of Genesis 10 is the son of Havan, the grandson of Japheth. So if you know anything about Havan, the Greeks come from... Havan is in Genesis in the table of nations of Genesis 10 and 11. Uh, and so you see how in Daniel's mind, identifying who are these people that are coming against the king of the North Antiochus. Oh, it's the people that are, are there like way in the, the Northwest hmm. part, the, the descendants of the Indo-European peoples of the Greeks and, okay. the and the, you know, the, the Hittite empire and all, and all those. So, yeah it's like th- those people out way out in the northwest and so because he doesn't know the romans and, yeah and yet then you see that so it's for really Phil. cool that
0: like he yeah and so he knows like what direction they're coming from and like you know that kind of thing so that part's the prophecy kicking in mm-hmm. and then we later you know they later develop so that part's really cool how you know it just shows it's not written, like you were saying, it's not written later, like it shows mm. it's an early document.
1: Yeah, and if it was a later document, one, we wouldn't have the linguistic evidence like that. Yeah. I mean, it could have easily just said Romans. Two, yeah. if it was a later document, um, the, Dead sea Scroll, the Dead Sea Scroll findings really throw a wrench in that because there's more books of Daniel in the Dead Sea Scrolls and it's revered than almost any other book we find in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we have commentaries oh, really? on the book of Daniel. And you have Enoch, which quotes from Daniel, and you have all these books which mm-hmm. you know reference Daniel and ha- hold Daniel in high regard. And so, how in the world would all of this happen yeah. with, with the Book of Daniel and be so widespread if if it was a late document? And yeah. also, like you would see the linguistic. Why would there be such a linguistic gap between yeah. all of these other writings, like the Apocrypha, written mm-hmm. in this second century period and third, you know, eight yeah. BC period? that's more Greek, uh, but then Daniel is just such a linguistically older document and held in such high regard. And all these early documents, which we know in the, are in the date to the second and third century, reference this book, which means that it has to be an earlier document. The yeah. only proof that sh- says or shows that Daniel is a late document is these prophecies. They'll point yeah. out that prophecy is impossible, so therefore he's talking describing these events after the events,
0: which right, it sounds
1: compelling, right? Especially if you have a framework, yeah. uh, epistemological framework, which automatically denies prophecy. But right. if you take that whole thing with denying prophecy out, ev- all other evidence points to Daniel being written by Daniel, in an early document. Yeah. So
0: it just shows, including how, this, on, just shows how on spot on the spot he was with the the prophecy
1: exactly so i love i love how all this intersects with again this is perfect with the apocrypha we showed how the book of enoch intersects with a lot of the passages in the new testament and Mm -hmm. some of the old we talked about like the other three apocryphal books here um kind of intersect with the old testament and prophecy and you see the importance of that so
0: and then the the first one that you read the um Ecclesiasticus, uh, Syrac, yeah, that's the yeah. one. Oh, Ecclesiasticus, yeah, one.
1: too. Yeah. yeah. It's both called by both.
0: Yeah. And you just, uh, it may not be given a lot of history or anything, but it also adds just kind of some, you know, some general knowledge and just some insight into what the people at the time thought. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, it varies as to what the Apocrypha adds, but it does add. So it's very, you know, definitely uh, encourage you guys to check it out some more.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I
0: mean, we're still going to be talking about it. So, I mean, like, uh, We'll still have some more things to add to Mm -hmm. it in the following weeks, but I mean, still, you know, pick up a book if you can. Uh, You know, if you pick up Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, this is just a pretty easy book to find. You know, this will have some of the Apocrypha in it, amongst other, you know, different things um, that -hmm. were found in Qumran that have to do with, you know, the books of the Bible that we have, commentaries on them, like the commentary that has some commentary on Daniel. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, You know, then there's also, you know, this book I picked up uh, it's just called the other Bible and it has other writings in it, like apocryphal stuff, you know, this kind of stuff, uh, not to replace your Bible reading, but it just kind of supplements, holds, it expose you to this stuff, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. And we had a question or comment here. Ch- chapter, this, doesn't chapter 11, uh, or re- reference Gideon's army of 300 cause the multitude of the Amokites. So I'm wondering, are you talking about Daniel chapter 11 or maybe you can clarify on that? Um, but daniel is referencing what happened so gideon would be a, a lot prior you know uh, or before daniel so daniel is prophesying current at this point in chapter 11 about the future greek and persian kingdoms and the kingdom of you know the north and the south and the wars going on there and alexander the great and antiochus and all of that stuff okay yeah so i don't see any reference i think um seth's reference to 300 I think it was his reference at three. He was talking about uh, is Xerxes the one that you know was talking about the the kings of Persia yeah. rise? Is Xerxes in the movie Three Hundred? Yeah, and yeah, I that was there.
0: Yeah, that's what I was referencing. My bad, I didn't mean to throw you off there. <laughs> yeah, I was referencing the movie. Verse twelve.
1: Okay, hold on. Uh, so, and when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands. He shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first and after some years so uh Uh, again the context of of all of chapter 11 and even these the king of the north here is the seleucid empire the the seleucids uh under the antiochus kind of reign and so if you see this whole ptolemaic and this uh, antiochus and seleucid kingdoms they're at war the kingdom of the south being egypt the kingdom of the of the north being this greekified persian empire and so they're going back and forth they're they're attacking one another and the levant israel palestine area seems to be caught in the crossroads a lot in this conflict and so we know this from other historical documents and also the uh you know the apocrypha which we read with maccabees so you're having a lot of tensions back and forth here with with these kingdoms of the north and south and somehow daniel perfectly prophesied these events prior years prior yeah. to this happening um but these are these are talking about future events the 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 gideon's army scenario this is back in um you know the pro- like prior into the you know the judges type period oh, of yeah, time okay. and so this is um you know, way way back, Old Testament, before the monarchy, basically. So you have the monarchy with King David and Solomon. Prior to the monarchy, you're going to have a lot of these tensions with the Philistines and a lot of these things. Um, and also, it, if uh, the Philistines aren't necess- aren't really from the north anyway. So it's, it couldn't be, uh, it couldn't be, ref- because the Philistines are west. So the Philistines mm-hmm. are west, and Israel is east. So even then, it wouldn't be a north versus south conflict between the israelites or the hebrews and the philistines so this what daniel is referencing is a future event uh you know after him uh in reference to the greek greekified egyptians and the greekified persians at war with one another and then you see this antiochus guy arise and do all this horrible stuff to jerusalem and makes them sin and just really wreaks havoc yeah uh and yeah antiochus bad dude (laughs) (laughs) And <laughs> it's so bad, in fact, that Daniel prophesied about him twice.
0: Yeah. So bad he had to mention it a second time.
1: Yeah, chapter 8 and chapter 11, God was like, listen, Daniel, you don't get the point. i got to give you another vision. you got to really warn people. You tell yeah. them how bad Alexander the Great and the Antiochus are going to be for the Jewish people. It's, yeah. Uh, whew, man. man. The let's Greeks. Up, let's go. The the Greeks, the The Romans, though even just from that story, drawing a circle saying that Romans were more brutal than the Greeks. Yeah, the Greeks are more brutal than the Persians.
0: And it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. That book I picked up, uh, "Dominion" by Tom Holland. mm -hmm. Yeah, he was talking about how much Christianity has influenced our modern world, just everything. Mm -hmm. And to the point, like if you went back in that day, pre-Christianity, like we wouldn't even recognize. Humanity, because they were so heartless. Brutal,
1: yeah, man. Gladiatorial arenas. Let us just take slaves and at that time and and have them just survive mm-hmm. against beasts and each other. And yeah. they yeah, they had no concept that slavery was on. They had no uh, concept that racism was wrong in Rome and it, before Christianity. They had uh, very little concept that you know, killing or helping one another. If you see somebody laying there dead or wounded, compassion. Uh, compassionless Mm. brutal killing infants because they're not strong enough and they're like ah he's not gonna work out yeah so it's like the roman society was brutal the ancient world was brutal and christianity really changed that
0: yeah it's very interesting yeah history's fun
1: (laughs) yes well we've kind of run out of a lot of time here we have to cover a lot of the new testament stuff dead sea school stuff We're, we're transitioning from yeah. Second Temple Jewish writings to now post-New post New Testament writings. So we're, th- we're going to cover all of the kind of apocryphal books, the formation of the canon, why certain books are in the Bible and why some are not. And yeah. we're transitioning from all these Old Testament or Second Temple Jewish books to what about the book of Judas? What about the book of Thomas? What about those books? Why are they not in the Bible? What about yeah. Gnostics?
0: Yeah. So yeah, we might want to let's see. Do you, how much? How much do you want to touch on that before next week, or do you want to you know save it on a cliffhanger?
1: I guess we could save it on a cliffhanger. I
0: know. You, I know you have
1: some stuff prepared for the Gnostics and uh, and so. I did have
0: one know? article, just kind of um, was a peer review article um, on just Gnosticism in general. So do you want to want me to read you that? Can you give you a little
1: teaser, that? and then you can open up next week if you want. Okay, we're already at the two, <clears throat> 2.05 mark. Yeah.
0: So this one, uh, so this comes from the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy dot edu. So peer reviewed, academic, legit, good stuff. Um, So this is just kind of there. It's a kind of a long intro or well, it's a long article to read. I'll just give the intro. Um, But yeah, Gnosticism. Um, Gnosticism is the name given to a loosely organized religious and philosophical movement that flourished in the first and second centuries uh, common era or um mm-hmm. you know ad so the exact exact origins of the school of thought cannot be traced although it is possible to locate influences or sources as far back as the second and first centuries bce before common era or mm-hmm. uh, before christ such as the early treaties of the uh, corpus Hermeniticum hermeneuticum um Greek sorry man. if I butchered that. Yeah. <laughs> the Jewish apocalyptic writings and especially, uh, platonic philosophy and the Hebrew scriptures themselves. So Jewish apocalyptic writings is kind of like what we've been yep. discussing.
1: Exactly. So, it perfectly leads into it because yeah. this Greek influence, which is coming in seeping into Israel because of all these events are going to produce a lot more Greek thought, uh, at an you know at an alarming rate, and yeah. and it's going to take it in directions that are good and not so good, and you're going to see how those not so good directions influence Gnostic sects mm-hmm. that are Christian sects, but they pervert and go into heresy very, very yeah. and, and very evident ways, and that's why. These, you know, those yeah. are not included in the Bible for very good reason. We'll talk about
0: those, but and this, and it goes on to say, in spite of the diverse nature of the various Gnostic sects and teachers, uh, certain fundamental elements serve to bind these groups together under the loose heading of Gnosticism or Gnosis. Chief among these elements is a certain manner of anti cosmic world rejection that has often been mistaken for mere dualism. According to the Gnostics, this world, the material cosmos, is the result of a primordial error on the part of a supercosmic, supremely divine being usually called Sophia uh, wisdom or simply the Logos. So you can see kind of the parallel there of how they were kind of branching off of Christianity, but more Mm -hmm. in kind of like a heretical area, (laughs) but you can see the influence. This being is described as the final emanation of a divine hierarchy called the pleuroma or fullness at the head of which resides the Supreme God, the one beyond being. Mm-hmm. Uh, the error of Sophia or Logos, which is usually identified as a reckless desire to know the transcendent God leads to the hypostatization, hypostatization of her desire in the form of a semi-divine and essentially ignorant creature known as the Demiurge. Mm-hmm. Um, the Greek translates to craftsman or the I.L. Da Boath. Yeah, the Greek Demiurge. Which,
1: yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah. talk. we'll have to talk about that a lot.
0: That belief. Yeah. yeah, that Greek man. That'll get to you. <clears throat> Who's responsible for the formation of the material cosmos? This act of craftsmanship is actually an imitation of the realm of the Pleroma, but the Demiurge is ignorant of this and hubristically declares himself the only existing god. At this point, the Gnostic revolution or revisionary um, critique of the Hebrew scriptures begins as well as the general rejection of this world as a product of error and ignorance and the positing of a higher world to which the human soul will eventually return. However, when all is said and done, one finds that the error of Sophia and the beginning of the inferior cosmos are occurrences that follow a certain law of necessity, and the so-called dualism of the divine and the earthly is really an inflection or reflection and expression of the defining tension that constitutes the being of humanity, the human being. So that's the basic introduction to Gnosticism. Yep. We're
1: going to tackle Gnosticism head on, head on to next week. So stay tuned for next week. Talking about more New Testament stuff, Gnostic stuff. Um, One last comment I saw here. I feel like since Noah, which is is one of a student of mine, uh, last day of school is tomorrow. I can say this, Chandler. Man, we got to get you a Bears and a Longhorn shirt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is two weeks in a row. You've hurt my football heart. <laughs> yeah, I am wearing West Virginia. I'm from West Virginia. Oh, man. If, if you know, for those who didn't know, I was born there. Families, you know, extended family. All still oh, lives you were there. born in
0: West Virginia. Yep. Oh, yeah, okay. lived the first behind. little
1: five wee years of my life there, um, and then moved to Florida. But I still visit there quite often to see family and stuff, uncles yeah. and grandparents and great-grandparents. That's, but.
0: that's how I am with Ohio. My family is uh, born in Ohio. I was born in Ohio, so I make the pilgrimage to Ohio as uh, Zop- often Zop- as we can. Well, some, yeah. So you go to West Virginia, I go to Ohio. We're both from
1: the Appalachian. See, see that's why we're good friends. Yeah, yeah, there. we're in the same you know, region. I actually but also like, have a
0: lot of family roots in West Virginia, too, so I got some there as well. They just yeah. migrated to Ohio. My dad actually lived in
1: Ohio just across the river, so again, you know, it's getting yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm good with the Longhorns. I actually like the Longhorns. I'm glad I moved here. I'm actually considering uh, going to UT at Austin for my PhD. Nice. If I, you know, hopefully I can get in and everything. So I'm all for that. The Bears? That's a really, really hard sell. <laughs> that's
0: a stretch. That's a big stretch for me. I, mean, I don't know about God that. Dallas, Texas, but I mean the Bears. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, there's a there's a lot more teams I would
1: wear before I'd wear the Bears. But we'll, we'll I mean, see. they got
0: Justin Fields, but even Justin Fields wasn't that happy about going to the Bears. <laughs> I mean, Ohio His State is still. He just looked he just so dejected. He's like, oh. At least it's the NFL, but geez. <laughs> Set unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right.
1: Well, you you guys do have Mike Dicka, so you you that's true, yeah. You, you know, just for that, I could maybe wear a Bears jersey. That's, just <laughs> because deep. I love I loved him also in Kicking and Screaming, great movie. Just, but
0: Ditko was also a cowboy too, so so there's a little connection there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bears. <laughs> bears. Interesting. The bears. Back, back back in the day when you were in a dog bite you just start biting people. <laughs> Where they <laughs> had one face mask. One. One. Uh, That's the there. world Ditka grew up in. Tough. Tough. That tough. was a different sport back then. Uh,
1: but yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm glad you're able to join us every week. And, you know. Oh, yeah. Maintain this. You know this. Uh, this c- communication too. You know, I'm gonna miss. I'll miss Noah going off to the high school. You know, yeah. uh last day tomorrow, so that'll, you know, be sure to to say my farewell. And But, yeah, but stay, you know, stay connected, though. I'll have to catch some of his high school games. I know he's a good baller, so. Nice. Yeah.
0: What's he play? Uh, basketball. Or what position, I mean?
1: Uh, Well, a little bit of everything,
0: actually. I've seen him. Okay. Seen him,
1: you know. Nice in, the, nice. in the post
0: and shoot threes, so he's, go. he's a good kid. Basketball right. the one sport I just cannot figure out. I mean, I like. I, I don't mind watching it, but I just cannot play it to save my life, which is sad because my dad was really good at it, so it makes him sad yeah, that I, love I, it. That I, I love can't basketball. do it. <laughs> but uh, you know, football I can do, and baseball I enjoy, and I can never actually played that at all, but uh, basketball I played a little bit of, just kind of like in church and with friends and that kind of thing. Football's the only one I played organized, but, yeah. you know.
1: All right, well, I'm gonna see. Uh, I'll see you guys later. Um, you know, we'll, we'll probably have a Q and A coming up because I know we're talking like, a lot of stuff yeah. with the apocrypha, pseudo uh, inspiration, canon, all this stuff in the coming weeks. That probably so be a good we'll, place to we'll, put. Yeah. So in a cu- in a couple weeks, stay tuned and keep your questions for you know a upcoming q and A episode, which will be exciting. And then we'll launch some new and upcoming big series, more se- like an actual series, which mm-hmm. uh, I know we're really excited for. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah. Well, take care, guys. God
0: bless. Any last words? <laughs> no, uh, other than just thank you guys for, you know, watching and keeping up with us. Um, you know, when we do have that Q&A, definitely make sure to come, you know, ask questions and, you know, we'll do the best we can to answer. But thank you guys for, uh, you know, tuning in and watching part. with us. Don't forget to check us out on Spotify and iTunes uh, for, you know, the audio. Um, follow us on Instagram. I know we got a lot of uh, fans and uh, followers on Facebook. Um and some of them may also be on Instagram. Maybe you don't know that we have an Instagram, but you know, we have a lot on Facebook, not as much on Instagram. So if you have an Instagram, you know, definitely come check us out on there. And we're gonna try to do some more things on Instagram than on Facebook. But um, you know, Facebook we keep our general announcements on there and Instagram, you know, we're wanting to do more personal stuff. Um, so definitely check us out on Instagram and like I said, Spotify and iTunes, check us out there and uh you know, be able to keep up with us that way. So other yeah. than that. Thank you, guys. Like, subscribe,
1: and thank you for your awesome support. You guys are awesome.
0: God bless. See you, guys.